to the Quarter to Three movie podcast for Martha Marcy May Marlene. That's the movie we're discussing this week. I am Tom Timothy Todd Chick. I am joined by Christian Clark Kenneth Mulkowski. Uh, no, that's my cousin. Uh, this is Michael Lewis. Uh, can I take a message? <laughs> and with a tagline, we have Kelly, 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 Kelly Wand. <laughs> Kelly Clint Howard, uh, Kamikaze. Uh, oh, catchphrase. That wasn't it. Don't worry. It's better than that. Uh, I like that music. Can you just leave it on <laughs> and turn us down <laughs> for an hour? <laughs> uh, catchphrase from Mary Marcia Magdalena. Quarter to three is not a cult because Tom gives the male children to be raised by Alex Lytle, but Star Trek is because contraception violates everything the Genesis device stands for, man. I understood about... Yeah, just pile it on. I know. (laughs) Let's go back to the Pink Floyd. Yeah, see? (laughs) La, la, la. There's your fucking catchphrase. Oh, wait. (laughs) I'm going to try and cut down on my F-words and be a respectable film critic. Like well, Rodriguez. that's okay. This is uh, this is an R-rated podcast because I believe, and Dingus will tell us about this in a minute, I believe this was an R-rated movie. So uh, if you got the family listening to the podcast, this is not this is not a Toy Story 3 episode. I just want you to know. Uh, Dingus... I've had a lot of families. Well, uh, like Waltons, I know, are big on our podcast. When we do the Muppet movie, for instance, I would encourage everyone to listen with their families. Can we do one Breaking Dawn Part 1 thing? Like, can I just say one thing about it? You can say whatever you like. My mom went to the 11th. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's what I told her. She went to the 11.30 a.m. show yesterday, Saturday. Because she goes, oh, that, I'll avoid, we'll avoid the teeny boppers. And then she said she still had to wait on the floor for the next show of it to see Breaking Dawn Part 1. All right, and that was our Breaking Dawn uh, Twilight reference. It's half broken. Part 1. Dawn's almost, you see the half the sun, and then the Dawn finally breaks a year from now. All right, any other stuff, anything you want to say about uh, anything else that's open this weekend or trailers you saw maybe? Should we get into that? You're mad because I mentioned Twilight. <laughs> no, no, I'd love to talk Twilight. It made $140 million. It's uh, it's definitely a current event worth covering. Uh, right up there with the Super Senate Committee. I'm uh, the Ed Murrow, and you're the fucking, uh, oops. And how about that How about that Natalie Wood investigation reopening? Let's get into that, too. Clinton's good president still. <laughs> uh, Dingus, let's talk uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene. Why don't you tell listeners... What this thing is, it's uh, not a wide release. I don't know. There might be people listening who are like, what? What's this movie that they saw? Without getting into any spoilers, Dingus, why don't you uh, give us a a general idea what the heck this thing is? First of all, I just want to say it's so so pleasing to me that you're off book for the title. Uh, I remember asking you about this. You had seen it before the rest of us. and I remember asking you, so now that you've seen it, is it easier to remember the title? And your response was, oh, yes. <laughs> and I definitely have that in mind. Uh, really? Because yeah. I, I didn't get that. I'm still con- uh Well, save it, for the, save it for later. We'll get into some spoiler-specific stuff. Because, actually, the, the title of the movie uh, has a lot 
it sort of unfolds along with the movie, like the significance of the title. Uh, so, um, Kelly Wan, that obviously didn't work for you as well. We'll get into that in a minute. But no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Dingus, why don't you give us a, a breakdown of, of what this movie is without spoiling anything? All right. Well, this week we saw Martha Marcy May Marlene, a 2011 American psychological thriller movie about a young woman who reunites with her sister after having gone missing for two years. The movie was written and directed by Sean Durkin and stars Elizabeth Olsen, John Hawks, Sarah Paulson, Hugh Dancy, and Maria Dizia. The film is rated R, as mm. Tom intimated earlier, mm. and it is rated R for disturbing, violent, and sexual content, nudity, and language. Dingus, did you call this a thriller? Psychological. Um, I mean, snow and dies in it, no bombs. I Sounds called it a psychological thriller. I, I, I did do that. All right. I'm not sure I can get on board with that. but uh, All right, so if you have not seen it, we want to warn you that we're now going to get into some spoiler uh, territory here. We've all seen it. We are going to speak about it in spoiler-heavy terms. And specifically, we're now going to roll out Kelly Wand to Ugh. tell you everything that actually happens in the movie. And he might even, wow. he might even give away the ending. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can't but, wait, I can't wait to hear your take on the ending, Kelly Wand. It's hard uh, to do serious movies, isn't it? You couldn't do it, and I can't do it. <laughs> I, I, we have that in common. Mr. We'll Chair. see. Let's see what you got. I'm looking forward to hearing this. So, uh, what, mm -hmm. what are you calling what you're doing this week? Now that you, since you have enough of a problem with the actual name of the movie, what in the world are you going to call this? The Mary Marcy Magdalene Jingleheimer Smith Baby Buggy Bumpsis. <laughs> All right, rock and roll. Can't wait to hear this. Wait, Go. I, I had one thing I wrote while Dingus was prattling away a minute ago. When he said it was R-rated for disturbing violence, I was trying to think of an example of movie undisturbing violence, and the only thing that came to mind was Norbit. Uh, that That's Eddie not thing where he plays a bunch of different characters. Is there violence in Norbit, Kelly Wand? Who cares? All right, here's the Mary Marcy Magdalene. <laughs> so Dakota Fanning's this girl who leaves this cult. Wait, who leaves this cult? <laughs> she does both. She lives at and then leaves from it, run by Winter's Bones' uncle, by waiting until the crack of dawn to make her move, even though that's when they all get up, just like vampires in Twilight. And she hoofs it through the woods to this Norms in the next county, but Winter's Bones' second-in-command Ryan Felipe tracks her down and sits <laughs> in a booth. Sadly, I actually thought both those were the real actors for at least a minute. That's you almost made a drink come out of my nose, Kelly Wand. That guy, I love that guy. I'm sorry for the interruption. His name is Brady Corbett. And if yeah. you guys had seen Melancholia, you would have more of an appreciation for who that guy is. Because in Melancholia, he has the bit about the tagline, which I was telling you about uh, earlier at one point, Kelly Wand. Uh, Brady Corbett, all about the tagline in, in Melancholia. And yes, he does have a very Ryan Felipe thing, so... Sorry, you I made you almost made me do a spit take with that. Really? Yes. Well, because would I know him from anything else? Uh, he played. Uh, he funny played. Game. The, uh, yeah, he in the remake oh, of Funny Games, that. he was the quieter, more sort of uh, more passive psychotic killer. Wait, it's the American one? Well, Michael, I... Michael Pitt played. Uh, he's the more famous one, and Brady Corbett was the sort of the newcomer actor in funny in the American Funny Games. Yes, he's the egg guy. 
Uh, no, Michael Pitt is the egg guy. He's oh. he's the quieter guy. Uh, so at any rate, I, I'm sorry, okay. I, I interrupted you, but you you've seen him if you've seen him in Funny Games, and he's got a great bit in Melancholia. So, huh. uh, so Ryan Philippe tracks are down. It sits in a booth at once, and he's all. So we get the sense you're unhappy with us, but that's just your free will and reason talking. The two worst curses inflicted on us, besides vaginas, besides when used in conjunction with herbal roofies. What's the real problem? Is it not enough rape? Too much food? Typical whorish ingratitude? What? You know what Master says. The first step in cleansing the brain is by washing it. And she's all, uh, well, I like the music. Actually, that one thing was the best song I've ever heard in a movie. And he's all, yeah, right? You're obviously talking about that piece I wrote. bop a bop bop a bop 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 That's probably the best work I've ever done, like, of my recent stuff. I wrote that for you, by the way. It's pretty good, huh? It's way better than John Hawks's whatever. And she's all, yeah, anyway, um, it's just the murderers shooting the wrong cat, the no food before evening thing. Is this cult based on gremlins or something? What's our belief system? I mean, I know you're anti-salad, and he's all, look, I can see you need a few weeks to have a breakdown. We'll come with rocks and black SUVs whenever you're ready. Uh, what are you trembling for? This is a love fist. <laughs> so she calls her sister Mary Kate. By then I knew who she was. I feel like such a dick on so many levels for that, too. We'll get into that. Uh, and her British guy husband. And she's all, hey, sorry about the two years of silence. Uh, a B8, my cell phone. Can I move in with you guys indefinitely? So the sister comes and picks her up, and we flash back to her first day in the cult. And her mentor, Zoe's all, you'll like it here, at least, as long as you're not a stickler for fun or hope. But your father left you, so this will actually seem fun by comparison. And she's all, actually, it was Robbie who bailed on us during the explosion, but he somehow beat us to Boston by being in the middle of an off-screen explosion. And the British guy teaches her to I, I got that, Kelly Wan, just so you know. See, I got the okay. callback to the Dakota Fanning reference, so well played. What's, it really wasn't worth it, was it? it I felt like it was for me. Because you now, and I... It, it's worth it now for me. <laughs> See? Everyone else is included. I got that, Kelly Wan. I'm with you. Has it been worth it since birth? Very good. <laughs> Coach. See, Tom's all clinical now. Like, C+. Plus. Anyway, so the British guy teaches her to drive a boat and to swim with clothes on because modern society in Connecticut's also a cult. Then we flash back to her first night in the cult house, and she wakes up to find herself being violated by the cult leader. And she's all, well, at least it's not sex with Kelly Wand. <laughs> Next day. <laughs> that one was for you. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah, that's a callback to me. And the next day, her sponsor, Zoe's all, I know those haunted eyes. Heard you rode the Comet to Paradise last night. Wasn't it magical? And Dakota Fanning's all, uh. And Dakota Fanning hears her sister and the British guy having sex in the future. So she, it's a time travel story. So she goes into the bedroom, and she curls up on the bed with them. And the sister's all, what the fuck? Watching people have sex with British people isn't normal. And Dakota Fanning's all, there's room on the bed. And the British guy's all, Actually, I can work around this. You're not my first twins. So since the cultists aren't the world's best farmers, they make up the difference by robbing people's houses and distracting them by turning on exercycles. 
but things take a turn from the cardio when they go to this one guy's place and the guy's all, what the, I don't have an exercycle. And they're all, we thought you did. Sorry, we'll go. And he's all, look, I just want my family safe. Here, have some salad. And they're all family safe. And the chunky girl from Bridesmaid stabs him in the shoulder so that when he calls the cops, it'll hurt, kind of. And then they rig a cup of water. <laughs> oh, a MacGruber reference coming. I can't wait. Go ahead. Oh, you already got it. <laughs> Was it the laugh? Like, uh, it's a MacGruber All right. They rig a cup of water. You know, tell you what, yeah. you see, you and I are in tune on certain things, and that's that's one thing. I'm with you 100%. All right, rock and roll. It's water, and you knew instantly the whole joke. That's pretty impressive for one of us. I give you all credit, but Dingus is <laughs> Dingus hates us both for that, which is kind of funny to me, too. Even though this is the greatest joke. So they rig a cup of water on a string over the front door. I'm doing it. It's a movie no one's seen, and then there's a joke about another movie no one's seen. And then we just put it on the Internet. Here it is. So they rig a cup of water on a string over the front door and stick his middle fingers <laughs> prop his body up and write, you're all wet on a placard. But no E in the Eeyore, Dingus. And they tie it around his neck. Meanwhile, in the future... The British guy's all, your sister's batshit. We need to put her either away or down. And the sister's all, um, can we check this up when she's not curled up in bed with us? And the British guy's all, well, it is a big bed. She had us there, governor. <laughs> then they take her for a drive and a black van almost hits them, but it's a non-call one, so she's fine. The end. <laughs> what? Wait, that's the end? Uh, come on. That's... Doesn't anybody pee on Val Kilmer at the end? Come on. Uh, spoiler. Save it for the podcast. Good point. The serious one should have shorter synopses. I, I agree. Sure. Yeah. With yeah. the mortals, it's like, what do I cut? There's just so much. But with this movie, it's we should just, I don't know. All right, Kelly Wand. If only, if only Tarsum had thought that right, Kelly. <laughs> let's give you a test, Kelly Wand. Say the name of the movie without referring to notes. Go. Mary Madron. Mm. Yeah. Bloody Mary. <laughs> I know. Mary Marcy May Madrona Marsh? It, it kind of oh. helps to break it into its component parts. Yeah. Uh, the character's name, of course, is Martha. Uh, then John Hawks gives her her name, uh, you know, her, her sort of cult name. And then there's a reveal, which is actually really subtle, and I... Surprised I didn't miss it. Uh, there's a reveal about the Marlene part uh, and how that gets tacked on and what the significance is there. That's what she wrote on the thing. That's what was written on the wall. Like, that's the name that they give over the phone. Uh, contacts. And that's when she calls, someone else answers the phone and, and identifies herself as Marlene. So so it's sort of like they're, each of the, the components of the title is a building block uh, each of the, the words in the title is, is like a building block in, in the story uh, that comes in at a very specific moment. Uh, it seems distracting to me that her actual name has the same first two letters as the code name everyone uses, which they, I mean, do they rotate that or is it just a coincidence <laughs> or, I mean, because doesn't, doesn't the chick who picks up the phone when she calls them for Zoe say Marlene, right? Mm -hmm. Or do they change it? Okay. No, because it, and it's written on the wall there. You, that's a reveal later in the movie. Uh, is that everyone uh, and the the men are? I think uh, Jane. Like, there's there's, there's a man. It's Michael. Michael. Uh, right. Right. It's Marlene and Michael Lewis. Right. 
so uh, th- and one of the things that I really liked about the movie, and I'll, I'll just jump in here, uh, is how little we know about the cult and what they're doing and what their agenda is. I mean, it's all told, it's all sort of remembered through an unreliable narrator. Uh, mm-hmm. So what this cult is actually doing or not doing and why they're doing certain things. And uh, w- we don't see a lot of that. And that's, to me, I'm okay with that. I really liked that about about the movie, how how vague it was about what was actually going on on this farm. Um, I'm okay with it, but I kind of was really curious about it, too. And I felt um, I would have wanted more, actually, because I really wanted to know what they believed in. Because she, she, there's a couple quotes. They get into a few debates and metaphysical discussions about what they believe and like a couple things they say i sort of agree with it's like if you go through the bible or scientology like if i like man's wisdom is in a rock yeah exactly okay bad example but but wouldn't that have been a very different movie though kelly wand i mean what uh the how little we know about the cult is fundamental to what this movie is trying to do i think uh in that it's a movie about her and her being an unreliable narrator and it reminds me of course of other things that we've seen this year uh, right, but I also wondered if, it, okay, is it a generic cult or is there something – because not all cults are equal. And I just wondered if it was like John Hawks' particular thing, like he used to be in a band and he's like, <laughs> I can just get the groupies to come here. Fuck touring with those douchebags. Right. Just sing one. And then, and then also like his other songs is good. Like if he's that an awesome uh, – That song, by the way, uh, did, so do you guys know uh, – I mean, we're all over the map here. Uh, so, Sorry. do you guys? No, 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 no. It's it's my fault as well. Uh, that that other song, by the way, the song that John Hawks sings. Did you guys like read up on the music in this movie? By the way, Jackson or? Frank wrote it. Yeah. Did you know who he was? No, but I wanted to because it's the best song ever. It is the best song ever, and that guy. I mean, he's a, an English blues musician who. He just had a horrible life. I mean, he's one of those guys who really lived the the blues. Uh, you know, just just reading about what this guy went through is 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 just so grim. Uh, but the song at the end of the movie is Jackson Frank, and the song that John Hawks sings is a Jackson Frank song called uh, Marcy, I think. And then the song at the end of the movie is, of course, called Marlene. Um, and they're both Jackson Frank songs. Then um, he wrote them for the movie. Or, well, uh, he died, uh, so no. Uh, he was around in the 60s. Uh, he did uh, one album. You can get it on uh, on iTunes. It's just called Jackson C. Frank. It's uh, it's one of those albums that someone does, and it's their first album, and so he uses his name for it. Um, but the, both both songs are, are on the album, of course. Uh, uh, Dingus, what uh, you saw this first. Um, get in here. <laughs> Or I can start you off on a bunch of different tangents in my notes. I have all kinds of different goods and bads I want to get into. Yeah, Kelly, uh, uh, what's your name again? Dingus. We don't want to uh, get. We want you to get in here. So I'm. Yeah. I'm going to go out. Gonna go out on a limb and guess that Dingus was kind of into this movie. Kelly, Wanda, are you with me on that? Who wouldn't be into this movie? It's the. It's the anti tower heist. Although uh, the audience. I think a lot of yeah, I think a lot of my audience was not into the movie uh, based they, on their reaction to the ending. Yeah. Oh God, I love the reaction to the ending. I've seen the ending of this movie uh, three times uh, because I just keep sneaking in after seeing movies because I love to watch the way the audience reacts, and I just like to watch that. That, that you can see just there's this one guy in the second the second time I saw it, this one guy just does the hands up thing like what. <laughs> They're not used to it. 
I just yeah. love that moment. I just love that. What? I mean, we're not going to get into the ending right now, but I just liked to see the audience reaction. And from the first time I saw it, when I could hear all of that, huh? uh, I just liked to see that. So That's how uh, I felt time, but then when I thought about it later, I liked it more. But, but uh, you know, to, to jump in here real quick and, and address what Kelly said about wanting to know more about the cult, I think, um, as far as I'm concerned... Um, and I, you know, what, what Tom said about an unreliable narrator is absolutely perfect because I think this is basically uh, two weeks in the life of this woman's brain, and and all we're getting is what she knows about it. I mean, it, it's not there's not every scene is from her point of view, and and there's a couple of scenes she's not in. So right. where where I was sort of thinking at certain points is this just in her brain or not there's a couple of scenes that are clearly not that she's not in and she can't be eavesdropping on because there's a couple of scenes where you know um where ted and lucy are talking and she can sort of probably hear from the next room but there's other scenes where she's clearly not privy to the information but it still feels like this is a slice of her uh impression of what happened and uh, and so not knowing what this cult was about beyond that doesn't really matter to me and sort of adds to it for me because of how well um how well the cult runs how john hawks plays it and how the the women um uh katie and zoe in particular uh groom her and teach her so that she deals with sarah slash sally all of those things that happen and make the cult run all of that is is really enough information for me it's enough information I didn't consider it a flaw, but I would have enjoyed more just because I liked all that it was there. Like, it was all... Like, I mean, because if a guy says fear is when you're most alive, it's like, well, yeah, that's true. But it's not sustainable long term. So he's sort of giving you... But do, do you think that when he's talking about that, when he's talking about how beautiful death is or, or whatever he's talking about there, do you think that's an actual part of his philosophy or something that no. he's doing? No, he's playing her. But I'm interested in that process. I'm interested in cults and psychological breakdowns and and just what these guys stand for. Like, are they and they? Because we don't know, we learn about them as the movie goes on, and that's that's another cool thing. I I only have one quarrel with the movie, but I don't mind that it doesn't say more about the cult. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Um, Look, like we learn that they that they have firearms only halfway in. Like up till that point, they sound. We don't know how long she's there for two years, right? Like, that happened two years ago, not... Well, not necessarily. She's been missing from her family for two years. I don't know if she was with the cult for two years. Tom, did did you want to know more about the cult? No, no. Because, uh, so so my angle on it is that the cult is ultimately irrelevant. Uh, And... I, you know, this this was a movie not so much about the cult, but about this woman's recovery process and uh, this traumatized woman trying to reintegrate into society after being gone for so long, after being abused. Uh, the the stuff about the cult, and I was even a little weird, Dingus. You mentioned a few scenes uh, that, of things that she's not privy to. I was okay with that in the modern day stuff with her sister and her brother in law. Uh, when we had a few scenes. And I, I guess I can only think of one. There's one where the Ryan Felipe character comes to John Hawks and says, uh, I've discovered some 
some things that I want to tell you. There are a few scenes where she's not present and stuff going on with the cult, and maybe it's just that one scene. Uh, I really didn't like that stuff just because of the, the kind of movie I thought I was wanting, I was watching, and that I wanted to keep watching, which is one where everything that we know about the cult is filtered through her and through her perception. Like Fish right. Tank. Um, is Fish Tank like that? Yeah, it's all her. Katie Jarvis is in everything, right? Katie Jarvis is in everything. Uh, I think that moment you're talking about is that one moment where, where, um, where, where, what's his name? Watts? Is that his name? Goes, goes to Patrick and says, I heard the, I overheard the women talking. Is there really no right actually on that one? Okay. I didn't think about it at the time. But anyway, so I don't, I, the, you know, the, the cult to me is immaterial. Because the next scene, the only thing that bugged me, (laughs) tell me if this, if I'm making, odd or implausible or weird or something that the sister couldn't put together how fucked up she was. And I think part of that is we don't know very much about her from before two years ago, but also when she asks, oh, did he get physical with you? Oh, did he? And she goes, what do you mean? I didn't know what she meant either. And she goes, did he hit you? But they don't. But she doesn't ask if she was raped, too. Like, that would question wouldn't come up in that conversation. That seemed a stretch for me. I didn't know if I believed in the sister. Lucy. Um, well, I, I mean, the sister was obviously sort of respecting that Martha didn't want to talk about it and was kind of letting her be. And I don't think, I mean, I think she took at face value this idea that she'd just been with a, a jerk of a boyfriend who had lied to her. Like, I, I don't think that there was any, I mean, they, she obviously suspected by the time the movie's over because they end up, uh, uh, what do you call it when you, uh, not in, uh, it, where you put someone in a mental asylum. What do you call that? Committed? Committing. I was going to say, in, not in Turing. Uh, that would be something different. Uh, <laughs> obviously, well, she knew that something dire. You're above ground. Right. They're, they're going to, to put her in this institution. But but I, I don't think that there was any reason to necessarily... Coffins think- are padded, too. Right. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's any reason, though, to think that that Martha had been lying about the the fundamentals of what what had happened, at least early on in the movie. Now, over the course of the movie, yeah, I mean, that's something that they suspect and they end up committing her because of that, I I assume. But along those lines, Kelly Wand, I was a little bit... um, so one of the movies this reminded me of is Take Shelter, and I don't want to say too much about that movie because we encourage you to watch it. We did another podcast on it. That's one where I would I would encourage you not to expose yourself to any spoilers about it, to see it. But Take Shelter tells a similar story, and it has a similarly maybe unreliable narrator. And there's a lot of that whole kind of thing about, you know, what kind of movie are we watching? Uh, is it about a guy who's unreliable and who doesn't understand things that he's seen, or is all of this real? And the same kind of thing with this movie. Is the cult still stalking her? Are they coming after her? Uh, so um, when one of the things that, that kind of where I felt this movie didn't live up to what Take Shelter did, Take Shelter was this guy's complete arc. You see this guy going through this this this. Uh, kind of progression about what's real, what's not, what's in his head, what isn't. Whereas in this movie, uh, it's all after the fact. It's all after she's sort of been traumatized and had this sort of fall from normal social interaction, from normal consciousness. Uh, We don't know what she was like before. We don't understand sort of the how different she is from when her sister last saw her. So in a way, I don't quite understand the level of trauma that she was exhibiting. Uh, Like, 
like at times this almost seemed like a movie about someone who had been raised by wolves being reintegrated <laughs> into society. You know, you don't go and join a cult for two years and then forget that you do not walk in on someone having sex and slip into bed right. with them. Uh, so were there pre-existing problems with her? Uh, because nothing that I saw in the movie, yeah, the cult was abusive and it was terrible. They were drugged and raped. Um, but nothing I saw in the movie, I, I don't understand why normal social conventions were knocked out of her head, why she freaked out at the party. Um, so a lot of what was going on with her, I didn't quite understand. Uh, and in a way that I'm okay with that, uh, I, I don't feel like I needed to understand it to see this this fascinating portrayal of this woman who's sort of losing touch. Um, but it wasn't a kind of movie where you understand the character as, as much as something like Take Shelter, I think. Or Black I, Swan. Swan, Swan. I'm sorry, go ahead, Dingus. I, I think you do see, I mean, I, I see a lot of that in the relationship of Lucy and Martha. Um, I think that, that the things that Lucy says, uh, Lucy being her sister, says to her, uh, in particular after she kicks Ted down the stairs and tells Lucy that she's going to be a terrible mother, they, they have that really powerful scene where, you know, they say all these things to each other and then Lucy mm-hmm. says the next day we said a lot of things uh, i think that it's clear from that scene that lucy has had to deal with this for years and that this is just the latest thing and she's 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 a psychologically damaged individual whether she's mentally ill or not is is not something i don't i i think i'm 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 saying with this particular statement but i think she's been difficult for many many years and lucy has had to deal with this and had to hunt her down and i think that this is just another in a long string of things, and this is probably at the head of it. Well, and that's just, just the, my point, Dingus, that it is ambiguous. I agree completely with what, what you're saying. And rather than a movie where, where you get a complete package of the character's arc, like something like Take Shelter, I, I think it, it is w- what you're saying exactly right. You know, it hints at this is something that's been going on above and beyond the trauma of the last two years, and we're not necessarily privy to that. It, it's kind of ambiguous. Right. I thought it was irrelevant, and maybe she doesn't remember it. Like everything before the cult, like part of her brainwashing, as it were, was was not remembering anything. That and if that were the case, Kelly Wand, then I feel like they didn't really show us enough about how powerful this brainwashing was at the cult. That's what I'm talking about. Now you're agreeing with me, aren't you? Well, <laughs> I win. But the thing I, I think we're seeing um, a portrait of the. T- <laughs> This is really difficult, uh, you know, because you, you see a, a few different women uh, who have been um, and I don't I don't like the word brainwashing very much, but incorporated into this cult in various ways. Mm-hmm. And I think you see the type of personality types that wander into this situation and then get uh, subsumed into it. Mm-hmm. And um, and Martha is one of these types who is who is a woman or a person who, when confronted with an individual and, you know, and you tell them your name and he says, oh, that's nice. Your name is now this. And you just accept it. I mean, that that is that is a certain psychological profile. And and so and so Sarah becomes Sally. And I don't know who Katie was before that um, and who Zoe was before that. But but he immediately renames them and they just become that. And it's just it's fascinating to watch Martha's progression from from be, from allowing herself to become Marcy May to gradually getting to where to where uh, Patrick has to say to her, uh, we're, ha- we're happy you're here. But if you're going to be here, you've got to contribute. You got to be part of things. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he says. 
I love the way I love that. It's turns of phrase, so I <laughs> study them carefully. Oh, and she has to open herself up to them as well. Right, right. right, right. That's a pretty telling turn of phrase. Yes. Uh, do we want to talk about how awesome the acting was, or do you want to argue about the ending more first? Uh, oh. Both in that order. Okay. Elizabeth Olsen. <laughs> Best so actress. first of all, Tom, did you did you recognize who Katie was? No, but I'm dying to know because I, I meant to look her up. Now, she's the one who, who goes crazy and, well, not goes crazy, who stabs the dude in the back, right? Yeah, I don't think that's going crazy, and I want to talk about that scene. Uh, but, but yeah. I recognized her like crazy, but I couldn't tell. Maria Drizia? Or I have no, I didn't recognize the name. Who was that? Uh, I'm going to say one word to you, and I'll see if you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Blueberries. <laughs> That's beautiful thing. Cause I, I should have thought TV. That's the thing is, I now that I'm watching more TV, you'd think I would be privy to that kind of thing. That's oh, awesome. Trial in the Chocolate Factory is a TV show now. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, go ahead and explain, Dingus. How would people know the crazy woman who stabs the poor dude in the back? Uh, Kelly Wan should know her from this. He eventually will if we keep on him long enough. <laughs> All right, she's on an excellent television show called Louis, um, which is done by the comic Louis C.K. And there's a there's a there's an episode. She's also in Ducklings, but she's in this. Uh, I think it's Bummer Blueberries is what it's called. Oh, that's and, so awesome! <laughs> and um and she sort of she's this weird. Uh, she's a mother of one of Louis C.K.'s um, one of his daughter's friends, and and she basically says, you know, look, uh, I I need a guy who's gonna just come and service me, so come over to my house and service me. You know. <laughs> And she just plays this weird, just without a f- affect woman, and and uh, they have this awful sex scene. But uh, but you know, it's she's from Louis, and she's wonderful in that, and she's perfect in this. She, I'm so glad you mentioned that because it was going to drive me crazy what I recognized her from, and uh, it was the kind of thing where I even thought, do, do I know her or what? Because <laughs> I guess did I do theater with her a long time ago? <laughs> she was good. Yeah. Is that the one where he's a kid? There's like flashbacks where he's a kid, or is it second? Uh, there's some of that in Louis. Uh, yeah, uh, but uh, she she is she was very good in that episode. Uh, so uh, so go ahead, Dingus. Where were you going with that? So uh, no, I just wanted to bring her up, and I loved her. Uh, but I, you know, can we deviate just to talk about that scene now instead of just going into just talking about the acting? Because I'm really fascinated by that scene. The, the scene where she stabs the dude. Yeah, that scene was weird. Uh, so this, again, is part of, and this is where I'm going to start to agree with Kelly Wand, in that, why, so so the major shifting point was when the cult finally kills someone, and why did John Hawks seem so impassive about it when it happened, and has it happened before, and that just seemed a little abrupt and weird, and I didn't get it. And it that's seems okay, but yeah, it's, a little predictable for that for this movie. Like, well, it's, it seems, it's, it's where I'm about to grant that the movie was a thriller. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Then, but then it's not a psychological thriller because there's knives and shit. But that's not psychological. That's and, misery. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, so Dingus, what? Explain this scene to us. You've seen the movie at least three times. Uh, what's going on in that scene? <laughs> but the dialogue's awesome for it because he almost himself uh, that guy. I think it's totally scripted. I th- and you know the the question I have about the scene is the way that homeowner uh, talks to Watts, who is the uh, Brady. What's his name, Tom? Brady Corbett. Brady Corbett. Thank you. Who's the Brady Corbett? Who who's played by Brady Brady Corbett? Who's like uh, who's like Patrick's right hand man? 
And the, the homeowner talks to him like he knows him. And I thought, is this, is this the son coming home? And the father's like, what are you doing here? You haven't been here forever. Because the way they talk to each other, it's just this weird, it's, it's very weird. It's, it's, I didn't get that at all, Dingus. Uh, oh, I, I got that. I've seen, I, you know, I've watched that scene a couple of times and, because again, I keep sneaking into the theater to see uh, bits of scenes that I can see because I I really kind of love the way the scenes work. So you thought that Brady Corbett was supposed to be that character's son? I he really doesn't did. say anything to that effect. What are you talking about? No, no, but but the idea of him having like been gone forever and been the problem child and then coming—it's just the way the characters talk to each other. If I walked in and there was a, a teen, uh, some young guy standing in my kitchen, I wouldn't just go, "Hey, what are you doing here?" See, now that right. does make me want to see it again, Kelly. He wait, wait, have, he's saying they're related. I know, he might have a point, though, that like it's yeah. like if, if uh, Martha had come back after being gone two years, rather than running away from the cult, had led the cult members to the, the house and said, you know, this is my sister's house, let's go rob but some stuff out of it. The guy I, wouldn't say, um, worry about the safety of my family, to his son. Like that, right? Like if the son was that unpredictable, Dingus, or if he's like the son from another marriage, or whatever, it just had this weird thing to it. Dingus, you're brainwashing me. Yeah, it's too vague. But the whole thing where John Hawks walks up to the guy and calms him down—you need to calm down. Uh, You know, he does this whole thing, and and that feels totally scripted to me. And it feels like that sort of telemarketer thing. If if this happens, then you do this. If this doesn't happen, then you do that. (laughs) And and since the guy is there, and I think they're totally honest when they say, if we knew somebody was going to be here, we wouldn't have come into your house. We're concerned with leaving that you're going to call somebody. And the only thing is, they can't let him go now that he's seen them. And so all he has to do is just, you're going to calm down, we're going to talk to you until uh, Katie comes up behind him and does what she's going to do. Because that's not a surprise to John Hawks. It's not like she goes nuts. Mm, I think you're wrong because they're on their way out the door, and then he goes, I just do something about the safety of my family. And then John Hawks turns around. Like That is a uh, weird fake out. I get what you're saying, Dingus, but that that sort of change that John Hawks makes is a weird fake out uh, that I don't think fits with what you're saying. I love what you're saying, and I want to believe it, though. He does well, a Christopher Walken at close range face. For <laughs> Well, flash forward to the next moment in the laundry room where they're they're methodically using the bleach and taking mm. clothes off and and scrubbing each and scrubbing themselves down. This is this feels like this may be like the nuclear option when going into a home that, that they never want this to happen. But if it happens, it has to happen. Yeah, Dingus might be right. No, he's not. He's crazy because she <laughs> reacts. It's all about her reaction to it, too. Like, she's like, oh, my God, I didn't realize they were murderers. Like, she has well, of no... of course, yeah. Well, she's not used to that any more than she's ready to be raped. I mean, this is just another level of indoctrination, but she can't take this. And I think that that for her, for her mental state, this and having to convert another girl and then having to go through this are just more and more blocks that get removed from her little Jenga stack. <laughs> I think you know what you know what Kelly one I'm gonna have to join the cult of Dingus on this one. I, uh, I, I like where he's going with this, and I, I really want to. You are buy into so this. gullible when it comes to the Jenga stack of you, the Yunga stack. <laughs> uh, Dingus made me drink the kale and ginseng drink. So easy, so predictable. You know, you only need half a half a capsule. <laughs> Dumbness is when you're most alive. 
Uh, I like that, Dingus. I hope you're right. Uh, I do hope you're right because it did kind of feel like a conventional thriller thing. Like, okay, now something has to go wrong and we have to up the stakes. And uh, I, I like what you do. But you know what? It's in tune. And what I what I really like about this movie is that if you're right, Dingus, it's very in tune with how uh, Sean Durkin, is that his name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. With how he wrote and directed and shot the movie. Uh, is that if that is a crucial detail and, a, you know, if that's another step in the indoctrination, uh, it's not spelled out explicitly. And like so many other things in the movie, it's something that you kind of have to parse and figure out on your own and that you can easily miss. So I, I really like if that's the case. Uh, Great you know, it's, art. It's part of what I love about the movie. Great art doesn't need to be intentional. So even if the guy says, what? You saw that in that? You guys are fucking fake. <laughs> It's still good. I mean, I just didn't interpret it that way. I think, I think this is high. Off herbs. Uh, well, well let's... look at the reaction of everybody else. I mean, it's not that, that classic yeah. sort of something goes horribly wrong and everybody yeah. freaks out and there's blood everywhere. And, and you know what? Early on when you see the, the car driving off and uh, and uh, Martha wonders, you know, where do they go to at night? I mean, there's clearly the sense that there's stuff going on at night that she doesn't know about that that is some of the darker things they're doing. Uh, I mean, there's this clear sense that there's something dark and foreboding going on when that SUV leaves at night. Uh, and that, that occasional murders are part of that. I, I really think that that's, uh, I, I mean, I, I want to believe that, that that the movie is heading in that direction. And that this but isn't it, just some weird, convenient, oops, someone got killed. Now the. Well, let, me, let me ask you this. This is kind of huh? key to the whole. This is kind of a silly argument if if we disagree. But w- what point are, is Dingus saying that it becomes scripted? Because it's not from the beginning, obviously. Like they I think, okay, you go in the room when he comes downstairs. But... Well, here, well, Dingus, you answer that. I, I mean, yeah. I, Mister Mister Jenga. Yeah, Dingus, you're the head of this particular uh, doctrine. Why don't you field this question? You're the Durkin here, <laughs> Dingan. Uh, I think the moment that John Hawks has to make his appearance is when that starts to happen. Yeah. Because that guy's I dead. He, I don't think he generally has to. It's noteworthy, Kelly Wand, that they don't say to Katie, you know, we're leaving, come on now. You know, they're leaving without one of their members. They're putting on a show in front of this guy that they're going to leave, and they know full well that she's still in the house. That they're not all there. They're not like, okay, Katie, he's, you know, come on, let's go, we're leaving. They know she's still in there. I mean, they're leaving her there for a reason, I guess. They know she's... No. no? Then they... So, well, wait, wait. Let me ask you this. Then. So it's wait, like wait, they're wait. all going to leave, and he's going to turn around, and there's going to be one of them left? And she's going to be, oh, no, I was no. with those people. I was with those but, guys. Right. Left. Let me ask you this. If they're case in the joint, and they don't know that guy's there, or did, are you saying they didn't know that guy was there? Oh, no, no. I'm saying they didn't know he was there, but once, like Dingus is saying, Dingus, I should, you should be fielding this, once they uh, they get busted, once you know they didn't know he was there, but once somebody has seen them and can identify them, they have to kill him. I, I mean, it really is a matter. This guy has seen all of them. Presumably, they're, you know, it's, it's a night's driving distance from this commune. Uh, presumably, they can be identified. Um, I, I think that once that they get busted, you know, they all assemble at the door, and they distract him, and Katie sneaks up behind him and murders him. And as uh, Dingus was saying, the fact that they're, they, there's this scene of them very practiced, uh, in a very practiced way, cleaning their clothes out with bleach and getting the blood out of their clothes. Uh, I think that's... Mm, I would see that as a John Hawks would know that anyway. Like, he's a murderer, but maybe they're all sheep. And he... Well, but I think... well he's very much a Charles Manson figure in that way, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. 
I think so. Yeah, maybe this isn't even a real argument. Because I think they were murdering people, too, and she wasn't there till then. I don't even know. So you've been a member of the Dingus Doctrine all along, Kelly Wand. No, I... That's that's part of the cleansing, I think. (laughs) I think when John Hawks... I think John Hawks means to leave right then because he does turn back, and it would be more... It would be less cryptic if Dingus is Jenga stack. Well, and he doesn't say, Katie, what the fuck? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, he reacts to that guy's lion. Like, it's he was on his way out when that no, guy, after she that stabbed, guy opened his gap. After no, she no. stabs him, and he's sitting there with a knife sticking out between his shoulder blades, uh-huh. uh, John Hawks, his reaction is as impassive as ever. Like, it's That's exactly just... what he expected to happen. Because He's if the never... women do anything that shouldn't be done out of turn, I mean, that's one of the things, the eating, the so having it... babies, which is something else I, I really I want to ask you guys about this. We only have male babies thing. If the women do anything out of turn, they get they get reprimanded for it, I yeah. would imagine. And Katie is the mother hen on that. And so John Hawks isn't going to overlook that if she does something wrong. Uh, okay, I'm reading the sequence here, but... She appears over his shoulder, Katie does, after the guy says the line, right? About his family. Anything he says. No, it isn't. I love it. I absolutely love it. Anything he says doesn't matter. Right. You know, he's seen them, and and all all Patrick is doing is calming the sheep before the slaughter. He's. Okay, here's why I think you're wrong now. God, this is boring to people besides us, probably. But who cares? (laughs) Uh, They're still listening. Joke's on them. He is checking to make sure that that guy is too cowed to actually call the cops. But then when the guy says the line, he's all, mm, this guy's going to call the cops. Kelly Wand, first of all, what the guy is obviously, once they leave, I mean, what no, no criminal worth his salt is going to believe when a victim says, I promise I won't call the cops. I, I mean, he knows that when they leave, the guy's going to call the cops. You don't think he really believes that, do you? Well, although he does say, we know where you live. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And some people wouldn't call the cops. Like, they are that scared, I think. But anyway, I think more to the point, I love that the movie is subtle enough that it doesn't spell that out. Uh, you know, sure. I love that. Like, it's not bad writing. Uh, well, let's talk about the uh, the cast then. Uh, you love what? I'm sorry. Uh, John Hawks, would you join his cult or not? Uh, well, yeah, because I'm a guy. <laughs> and well, well uh, Mac. I guess Max did really. <laughs> Max. Uh, well, how many guys are this call? Yeah, Max is the third banana in a gang of two. But were there any other dudes that I don't remember? And was uh, the baby in? Yeah, there's the whole orgy scene, isn't there? Like a bunch of dudes. There's at least three dudes that are not John Hawks. Uh, huh. Was Max the one who had the uh, where he could actually kind of play guitar a little? <laughs> See, was that Max? Who Max, played? the guy who shot the cat. And right, the... right. No, I knew. I know from the the gun scene, which, by the way, I love. It's it's an anti Chekhov's gun. Uh, those guns don't come back out, but I think that's crucial. By the way, I love that because I love that you know we're seeing the gun scene because she remembers the gun scene because she's worried about the threat that they're going to come with guns. And the fact that the movie doesn't, that it doesn't pull a Chekhov's gun, that this gun shown in the first act doesn't get fired by the end of the third act. That's what this, that, that sort of speaks to what the movie is doing. Cause the movie is about her paranoia, her fear of this and not right. the actual event. And I love that. Um, it's also more Intel on the cult. Cause they teach the women to shoot, which you would go, which you would think maybe is against their, 
thing or something. Well, I think it's like, you know, like with the Manson group, I mean, the women were the one who were tasked with doing like the violence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Jackie Weavers. Spoiler. Ah, uh, <laughs> I know. I hate myself for that. Uh, but, so, well, Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, so uh, the uh, Olsen, I guess she's not a twin. She's the younger Olsen sister. The other one's name is, is Mary-Kate, but the one who's not named that played Marcy. Ah, that good point. Be. That's a very good observation, Kelly Wand. <laughs> uh, shut up now. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, my take on her, and I'm be curious to hear you guys, uh, Scarlett Johansson meets Vera Farmiga. What do you think? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Ah! Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, as soon as I saw her, I thought uh, she's Vera Farmiga with the little meat on her bones. Yeah, yeah. I thought I'm gonna Veronica Cartwright Tom's ass on the podcast and say <laughs> Vera Farmiga. And I, I thought a little Maggie Gyllenhaal, but Vera Farmiga was because Vera Farmiga, you kind of worry about her in her movies. <laughs> I hope she's gonna because in Orphan she's so jack. I mean, it's it's she's just a good actress. I'm not saying she's weird. I'm saying she's a skilled craftswoman. And an orphan's like, ah, oh, no one's listening to her. Sorry, it's a fucking idiot. But Elizabeth Olsen too. She has, she's just, she just seems fragile. I'm nervous for her. Where she's gonna fall? Uh, she did a great job with that, with that sort of frailty. But and she just had so much presence, and she's got this kind of haunted look in her eyes. It was very Vera Farmiga, uh, and just a, a a great job being kind of. She's like luminous and not there, and uh, that's what being on that uh, show, being a child star on that uh, show she was on with Bob Saget. That's like the cult. Like he, Bob Saget, was the John Hawks. Was she's acted before? She was one of the Olsen twins on that show. None of us watched. Well, no, Mary Kate and Ashley are the Olsen twins, and she's their younger sister. I didn't know that she had also been. In- oh, I don't actually follow. I thought the Olsen- she was one of the twins. See, I'm dumber than you because I thought she was one of the twins. Too. No, no, she's she's appeared as herself in in a, maybe one of their videos, but other than that, no. She I mean she was she was in two uh, things at Sundance. One of them, this remake of a um, a Uruguayan movie called Silent House, I think. Uh, but other than that, I mean, other than the new stuff uh, she's doing, no. Because I was going to say, I always thought the Olsen twins were super talentless and couldn't do anything. I was well, like, oh, well, this, well uh, she's gone to school and she's trained herself and she's a legit actress. She's the Alec Baldwin of the Olsen twins. Uh, Dingus, when you say gone to school and trained herself in, uh, in, in what, in like theater and acting, you mean? Like she, that's her, that's her bag? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's she's actually she's actually gone to to training to get herself ready for this this career and and taking her time to accept role uh, roles that she's ready for. I mean, when you hear her talk, she she sounds like a mature <laughs> not not an old actress, but she sounds like she's ready to do this. I mean, she still sounds like a kid in some ways, but she doesn't sound like a vapid idiot. And I'm not saying her sisters sound like that because I don't have any. Uh, I, I haven't watched any Mary Kate Nashley movies, but but it sounds one, like she's they've done plenty of work. Uh, but uh, but I have, it sounds like she's she's trained herself and she's ready to do this. She's ready to do this as a career. She's great. Uh, I've, I've seen one of the Olsen twins in a movie called The Wackness, which uh, oh. wait, which one was who was in that? She's the one who makes out with Ben Kingsley. I think that's what she's most famous for. Uh, in that, right, well, how far in? Because Olivia Thirlby drowned out, like even. <laughs> that's all you could see. There's a yeah, great... 
It ruined the movie. It really did. I'm like, ah, oh, Charcy, yeah, uh, But Elizabeth Olsen, I re- just what a fantastic job. And I, it's the sort of thing where you see that, and I'm like, wow, I can't wait for her to do more movies. Uh, that that chick's going places. I loved her work on the boat, where she's kind of having a, a, a breakdown at the same time she's enjoying herself. I love that what she does with her face there. And I don't, I'm not an actor like you guys, so I just react to what I see. Uh, my favorite. She's drinking beer with Hugh Dancy. Or, wait, yeah. Oh, that was good. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good, too. He was good, too. Uh, what book scene were you talking about, Kelly Wand? The part where he's teaching her to drive it, and he's not coming on, or there's some, there's a weird vibe. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Like there is in every scene. But, and, um, and what I love about that, and, and I love that Sean Durkin does this, uh, no dialogue. It's just like a, a shot of them interacting where he calls her over to drive the boat, and she does it for a little bit, and then she sits down. Just like a nice long take showing actors interacting. Uh, I love that the movie was so willing to do that so often. And he's he's great at composition, like the shot where Lucy's yelling at her on the stairs, and then she's way over on the left side, and like the whole frame behind her is like the window. Or you expect the pine cones to start shooting through any second. Love that shot. But let's talk about that. Dingus, as uh, as a sort of a visual study, as the movie was shot, uh, how did this work for you? It did, it did some weird, bold things like what Kelly Wand was talking about. Um, it, the, the, when I was first seeing it, it reminded me of the cinematography of... Um, Wendy and Lucy and Old Joy. I mean, those are those are three different cinematographers, but it just reminded me of the way those movies were set up early on. Um, this 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 uh, one is is somebody named Jody Lee Lipes, I think. And those those two movies, um, who are the same director, uh, it's Kelly Reichert, sorry, uh, but they're two different cinematographers. But it just reminded me of the way those those movies were shot. But I, I loved the way the all of that was set up. I mean, I love the way this film was shot. It's sort of like uh, when a movie can, like, there, there's a scene when they're gardening, and yeah. uh, uh, her Lucy is asking her about her bruised ear. And if I'm not mistaken, the whole shot, like, you don't even see Lucy in the shot. It's just on Elizabeth Olsen during the conversation. Right. Uh, and I love when a movie is willing to do that. It, it reminded me of two movies that I want to bring up. I don't think either of you has seen either one. Uh, but I love where a camera work can be that significant a part of the storytelling. Uh, one of the movies isn't that good, but uh, it, it reminded me in ways of um, of uh, Martha... Marcy May Marlene. Uh, it's a movie called A Horrible Way to Die. Uh, yeah. And it is similarly about a woman recovering from a trauma. And the nature of the trauma is imprecise early on in the movie. You just know that she's been through a lot. And the camera work is so much a part of the character study, kind of, in that the camera is like constantly drifting around and it can't quite focus on anything. And it seems a little lost and aimless. Uh, and the actress yeah. is so in tune with what they're doing, and so is the the filmmaker. It's a young fella out of Wisconsin whose name I can't remember, dead gummit. But I recommend a movie called A Horrible Way to Die. Uh, it's ultimately kind of a horror movie. Uh, parts of it don't work. But a great performance and great camera work and similar subject matter. You know, this woman trying to recover from this trauma. Um, and then another movie that I saw that I kind of hated when I was watching it, but by the time it was over, I really, really, really liked it. And it has a, another thing in common with this movie that I 
kind of – we'll just say that the way this movie, uh, Martha – Marcy May Marlene ends on a on a minor note, you might say. So does this other movie I'm going to tell you about. There's a French movie called The Sun. And for the first 30 minutes of The Sun, you have no idea what the heck is going on. And the camera is following relentlessly, constantly focused on the lead character. He will be talking to someone who is off camera. You have no idea who he's talking to. It's just the camera is so completely focused on this one guy. And you don't know what's going on. It's just a, he's a shop teacher at a school. And he's obviously distraught about something, and he's going through his day, and the camera will not leave this guy. It it, it constantly is fixed on him, and the entire movie is shot that way, and it's it's just an amazing bit of camera work. Um, So I recommend A Horrible Way to Die and The Sun. Uh, With a U or an O? With an O, yes. Uh, It's it's French, I should warn you. What about The Sun? Is that with a U or an O? Uh. Yes. What? <laughs> There's gotcha. that moment that that uh, boat beer moment. I think you mentioned Tom. It reminded me, uh, it, it. You know that photography? That's that tilt shift photography. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple moments in this movie that reminded me of that, and I really like the photography. And you know, like when she's in the water and she sees that guy. Yeah. And when yeah. when she's on the boat, there's there's just I just like the way this movie is there's shot. A, it really gives you this feel of. What is she seeing and what is she not seeing? And there's a weird scene shot from inside where she's on the outside of a window. I think it might be the one you were mentioning, Kelly Wan, where she's on the outside of the window washing it and having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And the mic for the scene is actually inside the house. So yeah. you're hearing them through the window. And then uh, the phone rings super loud because you're in the house. Exactly, exactly. Uh, uh, I love camera work with emotional states. Like that's something you can only get in movies. In art house movies. Yeah, it's so good. So, it's done. so did you guys both really, really like Hugh Dancy? He's he's he gets to do the least. He's not in the movie much. <laughs> he only gets to do one thing, which is be a total dick too. Well, yeah. Well, what do you think of the casting of Hugh Dancy, Tom? What do you think? Uh, I like the. I mean, I thought it was kind of thankless. He's just sort of being the uptight, yeah. uh, out of, exasperated guy putting up with the uh, in law. Um, he was kind of funny. I liked, I liked the confrontation scene at the dinner, but I thought it was kind of low hanging fruit, if that makes any yeah. sense. Um, so I thought it was kind of thankless. I don't know why I know that guy or if I do, but I, I liked him. He was fine, but he didn't necessarily leap out at me. I believed in him. I believed he yeah, yeah, yeah. Like died at Arctic. Yeah. Uh, sort of a James Marsden character. I could see her married to him. He'd be he's he'd wear slippers and straw dogs. Uh, oh God! Oh God! Kelly one. Uh, so Dingus, why why do you ask? Like, what, what, did he work particularly well for you? Um, I liked him, but I started to question myself um, because I I wonder, you know, there's that scene where that, that Kelly talks about um, where he's teaching her. He says, well, "I'm going to teach you how to drive the boat." Um, and, and you're supposed to have that sort of like, uh, yeah. right. cause she's, she's a, she's a fragile, she's, she's one of these, um, and he's pushy about it. Well, he's, he's not, he's just moving behind her and teaching her how to drive the boat, but you're supposed to feel this sort of like, uh, dominant male, uh, submissive female and something weird could happen. And he's so pushy he's about when he talks a, her in. Well, he just says, let's go do this. And, and then so, you have that. So that later moment where where she's having uh, either a dream or a delusion or whatever she's having, 
where somebody's touching her and then he's touching her either to wake her up or something ah, right, happened right, mm-hmm. right before she kicks him down the stairs. And I'm wondering if, you know, if casting somebody who comes across as such a prig or plays it as such a prig uh, is the right way to go or casting somebody who's more inno- innocuous would be a better way to go. And I'm not sure what to do with that. Well, historically, the real character was British and a prig, so... Yeah. Oh, good point. <laughs> let's talk about the movie we watched, and then we can talk about your parallel universe Jenga stack and some other parallel podcast. Uh, well, it does. It does. It, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Dingus, because it didn't occur to me, I guess because I have faith in human nature, that maybe there was something untoward going on when he touches her to wake her up and she freaks out and kicks him down the stairs. Uh, but it is like that boat scene where it, it's a little icky, and, and you're like, he's not doing anything overtly bad, but you no. can't help but wonder so yeah you know why is he touching her in the middle of the night uh what was going on there is there something so and and, and again how much of this just plays into her psychological state right how much is this the movie doing this so that we share her uncertainty and i applaud the movie every time it wants to do something like that so dingus you've won me over i now am even more approving of casting hugh dancy so. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> he also gets – he's less interested in her after she laughs at him when he says we're trying to have a baby. Like he's all, no, this, this isn't going – this isn't the date I was hoping for. In the <laughs> she'd like that. But Tom just hates British people. Uh, well, they did, you know, we we did declare independence from, from them. And, uh, you know, I, I just – I still have scars from that. Uh, On your – Never mind. What movie? Did, what did this movie have in common with Greenberg? Kelly Wand, go. Uh, a name in the title. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I, I was wondering. I would love to see both uh, Greenberg and Martha Marcy May Marlene at a party where they don't know anyone. Because <laughs> Greenberg had a party freakout scene. You know, it had the the party, not a freakout, but it had that party scene where uh, Risa Fons drags him to a party, and he's completely out of sorts, and it's like <laughs> a shuffled narrative, and he's obviously very uncomfortable. Uh, I just thought of that watching uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene at her party. I want to see Greta Gerwig have a scene with uh, Rita from Tower Heist. <laughs> you didn't even you didn't even stay for the Rita part. You don't even know who Rita is, Kelly Wand. Is your punk ass Bobby Finn? It, it wouldn't. I mean, I did start thinking about Greta yeah. Gerwig earlier when we were talking about this because my hope is that um, Elizabeth Olsen and Greta Gerwig get more work and they don't have to become emaciated to do it. Uh, I I like the way these actresses look and I think they're sexy and really good at what they do and they don't have to starve themselves to become something else. Uh, and you know, I'm not trying to uh, denigrate the way Vera Farmiga looks or anything like that, but I hope these actresses just can act in their body type because I really like both of them, and I would like to see them get more work. Dingus, you're still scarred by what happened to Jennifer Connelly and Amber Heard, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to be What movie was that where they get scarred? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was going to... Okay, yeah, go ahead. I want to ask what you guys think of the of the having kids and all the only kids we have are boys thing. It's just I, I love that it suggests that they take the girl babies out into the woods and bury them. That's that's like ominous yeah. grim it's stuff. It's like Sparta. <laughs> it's like terrible. But also uh, getting back to the uh, Dingus being aroused while watching the movie, 
It's like uh, if you have if you told someone who hadn't seen Requiem for a Dream. Wait, hold on, there... hold on a second, hold on a second. I have a projection on line two for you, Kelly Wand. Uh huh. <laughs> Go ahead. What was that? <laughs> Wait, what? Oh. Like you said, okay, Jennifer Connelly is gonna. She does uh, a scene where she goes ass to ass or something, or, and then but it's the least erotic thing you'll ever like. You'll it, it'll be the opposite of porn. Basically, like you wouldn't be able to convince anyone of that unless they actually saw the movie, and that's kind of how I felt about Mary Morrissey Magdalene. Like I, I was so worried for her fate that I, I unlike Dingus, uh, kept it in my pants. <laughs> you were not, you weren't thinking about you didn't want her to lose weight. That didn't even occur to you, Kelly Wand. No, I like that <laughs> body type. Whatever they got, I like Tom. Okay, but I like women's bodies generally. Don't you? <laughs> Look at them. Uh, let's talk about the. Ending. I like women's yeah. bodies too. I just want to say that right now. Dingus is my favorite woman's body. Tom, do you like women's bodies? How do you I, feel about them? Put, put me down in the pro column. Yes. All right. Good. Definitely, I'm pro women's bodies. Veronica Cartwright's body more than uh, Amber Heard's body. Wait, do you hear my uh, three by three this week? Uh, 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 uh. Uh, no. The uh, let's talk the ending then. Ending. Uh, all right, so I'm assuming you've seen it. If you're listening and you've come this far, we're going to spoil the ending. If you haven't seen it, what do you think of that? Uh, Kelly Wan, you last week said you're tired of ambiguous endings. <laughs> yeah, the Meeks cutoff one was the one. I was so excited when he said that. I can't tell you. That was when beautiful. That, I was just biting my tongue. I was ah, oh, this is so very now, here's kind of my problem with the ending. Uh, I love, like I say, ending on a minor note. Uh, I approve of that. Uh, you know, operas do that. I love that in an opera. Uh, a terrible thing happens, and then it cuts off, and you don't know how, who reacted next, and it doesn't matter. It's just sustaining this sort of impossible note, and then stop. Uh, That's right? what operas do? 80% um, of it, yeah. Yeah, like in, in an opera, uh, you know, something terrible will happen and a, a significant character will die, and you're like, how is the then other... Then a custodian comes out. She's going to mop. Uh, I don't know what operas you've seen, but I don't recall... The Fly. You've seen The Fly. <laughs> That's the only one. <laughs> I've mastered the form. Uh, but anyway, so my problem with the ending here... Uh, Again, I'm on board with what the movie was doing. I'm not sure, though, when, it, when, when there's an ending like that, uh, and I don't want to say too much about other examples because I don't want to ruin other movies for you that do that, but when, it, when, in, when there's a significant ending like that, what do we know from when the movie decides to end? You know, the movie decides to end at a certain point. What do we learn from that, where the movie decides to end? Kelly, you already kind of spoiled one. I think we learn a lot from where Meek's cutoff ends. Uh, no, we don't. We learn nothing. Nothing! Uh, well, what, how, then do you feel that way about this? Rather than no. Talk about it? Okay. No, but I, don't, I want your interpretation of the final line of the movie, and if you remember it. Uh, that guy's crazy. What's he doing? No. See? You're not a good film analyst. <laughs> what, what is the <laughs> You're not a good Jengis. He goes, that Lucy goes off screen. He came out of nowhere. Because the guy, right, it. the guy who's jumping into the SUV, like he has to cross the road or something. And last lines mean a lot in movies. Like Greenberg's means a lot. Because of the first line. Right. Uh, uh, I... So I don't know. Yeah, what what do you? Well, make? you're good at this stuff, so I want you. Well, to, that's the thing. Is I, I don't have an answer. I want you to. 
I, I don't feel like the ending of this really uh, informs much. No, it resonated. I like that it ended well, but I don't know that I learned anything from where it ended. Uh, I, I think that you know she's being hauled off to be committed. She's obviously paranoid. I personally, from my interpretation of what I saw, didn't think it would make any sense for the uh, the cult to come after her. So, so my own interpretation is that she is just paranoid and making up this stuff. Um, and I'm not sure that anything I saw in the final scene, although I loved the composition of it, um, and I loved that it had, you know, that again, it's something where it's a shot on her. You don't see the people talking. You don't see what they are talking about. It's just a shot of her. I love that. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure that I learned anything from it. It, it just felt a little like Artie for Artie's sake. And even though I thought it looked great, I just, I, I, I don't know that I necessarily approved of of this wow. mix cut off. I don't know that I approved this particular ambiguous ending as much as I do others. Um, like mix cutoffs. Yes. Uh, so Dingus, uh, what what did you make of it? Um, I like a bold choice like that, mm-hmm. but I have to admit that it feels like a bit of a cop out. Yeah. And I I hate to say that because I like the movie so much, and and I like the feeling that that it feels like this uh, this director that Sean Durkin is is lifting a, a few weeks out of this character's life and and this is everything she remembers and this is this particular slice of life and this isn't going to be the end of her story this isn't the beginning of her story this is just this slice of her story so i'm not going to tie it up in a nice, nice little bow but but unlike Meek's cutoff uh this feels like a cop out, yeah. and and like I mean, I like what you said, Tom. About I like I love the way it's it's composed. I like I like the whole sense of it. There's a, there's this weird, you know, I, I'm still wondering at that point. The first time I saw it, what is her mental state? How much of this is is in her brain, and how much is are we supposed to be able to trust from this narrator? And and uh, Ted says, you know, and there's there's the sound of of card maybe hitting something i don't know it's weird um and, and none of all of it is shot on her face we don't see the two of them in the front seat so i like all of that composition but it still feels like a cop out uh dingus that didn't seem to bother you in inception or avatar what movie, <laughs> what movie was that <laughs> Uh, or, I couldn't or, help but think the same thing. Like, I mean, it's it's not nearly your Majesty, your Highness, too. Uh, Inception does something similar too with that stupid top thing that that Christopher Nolan obviously thought was really clever. Uh, but this is nowhere near that bad, though. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I like how that. I don't think that we have any sort of catalog of things we can call it for Kelly that we can just say, "Haha, you said this movie," but yeah. apparently, I have enough opinions that you can. Well, I don't have any credibility to lose. You do. <laughs> Take that, Jenga. But he came out of nowhere. Come on, Tom. Throw me yeah, a so, Kelly Wan, that obviously resonated with you. What did that say to you? What did that mean for you? What did that What did that tell you about uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene? That John Hawks' existence... The, the reason we don't know anything from before the two years is because this guy came out of nowhere like Hesher. Like Hesher and like the Joker in Dark Knight. Oh, the um, prequel to Inception. So, so happy you brought up Hesher because I'll, I'll I'm going to mention Hesher later. Not today though. Uh, Kelly, do you think that um, the bartender was somebody she had actually seen before? The bartender uh, at the party. 
That was a little confusing, I thought, but I didn't think so. I thought she was just nuts. Because I, 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 he didn't react to seeing her. Like, oh, yeah, you. He just seemed like, oh, you want a drink? I mean, he was the bartender, right? He wasn't a guy at the party. <laughs> she was just... Bore me no, back. he was he was the bartender, but he could have been, you know, somebody. But but is that a, an element of her paranoia, or is that somebody she might have seen before at the cult? Um, I well, I just assumed it was in her imagination because he didn't seem set up. But I mean, the camera placements, which of course can be uh, trusted on to, to mess with us in this movie, didn't suggest that she we're supposed to know who that dude is. All right. Am I wrong? Because I no, wanna... yeah, I, I don't think there's an answer. I'm just asking you what you thought. I mean, in every instance where is she just paranoid, or it's usually she's just paranoid, but she has reason to be paranoid. I mean, so somebody with a black SUV is really upset that she busted his window out somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> Some... That's not a real SUV. That's like a tree. But her imagination has made it into an SUV. Which, yeah, see, Very good. Okay. He came out of nowhere, Kelly Wan, with an uh, analogy. What? Oh. Oh! oh. That, what that, the heck is going on with the technical support on this podcast? It's weird. <laughs> Here's what you heard. One, two, three, not only uh. you and me, got and I'm between if anyone was listening, I'd be sad. It's, it's, it's just us. Usual. He came I'm out happy. of nowhere. That's, that's what that means. You're happy that it's us. And I am too. Oh. Damn that what song. is this week's 3x3? Three by, three, by golly. Uh, is this mine? Uh, I know it's not mine. Alright, these are your three favorite dance moments in movies. I meant, and I don't think I said this last week, and I, I don't know if I did, but I, I meant for it to be non-musical movies, like musicals, but I didn't say that, so if you did that, that's cool with me. But I just meant like like little dance mo- little dance moments in movies. And the example I uh, got rid of was that, that goofy um, dance in uh, Ocean's 12 that the dude uh-huh. used to evade the lasers. What? I'm glad I didn't see it. Uh, the dude being Vincent Cassell, and the, ah. dance, the dance is breakdancing. Um, and it's a great but, scene, and uh, thanks for taking it off the table, Dingus. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I don't know if you said it, but I definitely, for myself, opted no musicals. Uh, in fact, no bona fide musical numbers. So, like, Dancer in the Dark, for instance, I took off the table. Uh, and I even did the same. I did. I went one further, Dingus. I made I, no movies about dancing. Oh, yeah. So no Billy Elliot. In me here. neither. Okay, good. So, He's Kelly Wand, you and I are on the same page. Dingus has probably uh, got a bunch of musicals queued up. Yeah, now that him and his Django over here. Does Step Up to the Streets count as a musical? Uh, I, I would love to get a little Brianna Evigan in here, but no, Step Up 2 would have been up there if I... But that's a musical, Dingus. That's totally a musical. Uh yeah. Rap is more graffiti for your ears. So, my number three, (laughs) non-musical, non-dancing movie, uh, is uh, it's Naomi Watts doing a little vaudeville dance number in front of a giant CG King Kong. 
that's my number third favorite. Where where he's like he's kidnapped her and taken her back to his lair or whatever, uh, and she has to win him over or just keep him. He's a giant ape from freaking out. So she is a vaudeville performer. So she does these little vaudeville numbers in in front of him, and it it kind of wins him over. Uh, I really really like King Kong, especially when all of that ancillary stuff involving Jack Black and the ship, especially when all of that is out of the way, and it's just Naomi Watts and this fantastically animated CG ape. I love that part of King Kong, uh, and this is a important early part of it. So there's my number three, Naomi Watts, Dancing for King Kong. Man, I love that so much. <laughs> it didn't make your list? You don't love it enough if it didn't make your list? No, I didn't even think of it, and that was my... I loved her so much. That was one of my favorite performances that year. And I didn't really care for the film uh, because of, I'm sorry, I didn't care for the movie because of, uh, because of that Jack Black nonsense mainly. Uh, but I just thought her performance that, that year, that performance in King Kong is brilliant. And oh, Tom, that's a great one. And I, I find this, you know, coming from someone who still hasn't seen uh, 21 Grams, uh, I don't think you're qualified to say any more proving things about Naomi Watts for a while, Dingus. You've All still right. got you've still got a lot of homework to do. So, oh, crap. Uh, Kelly Wand, where are you on King Kong? I forget. I guess he doesn't like it. That speaks volumes. <laughs> Kelly Wand, if you muted your mic, we can no longer hear you. And we're going to need to hear you because you're up, and we now want to know your your number three choice for uh, favorite dancing in a movie. Go. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a good pick. I can't believe he did that. I mean, he totally... <laughs> he did some serious jujitsu. jitsu uh, <laughs> Wand, uh, blink twice if your pick is Johnny Depp's Futter Dance from Alice in Wonderland. All right, so uh, Kelly Wan's number three pick, Johnny Depp doing the Futter Dance at the end of Alice in Wonderland. Totally not CG, by the way. He, he trained for that. I'm writing that down, Futter Dance. Is that what it's called, Futter Dance? <laughs> Wasn't it something like that, Fluttered or Futter Dance or the Futter Step? or It had some whimsical name that I don't think Lewis Carroll came up with. Uh, now, what is that? You've got me curious about Alice in Wonderland. Thanks. <laughs> I thought it was Futter Dance. Is it not the Futter Dance? He he longs to, he's the Mad Hatter, and he longs to do the Futter Dance? I don't know. But anyway, so that's Kelly Wan's pick. Uh, uh, we'll get Kelly Wan back here in just a second. Uh, Dingus, go ahead and give us your number three. No! <laughs> <laughs> but it's Dingus's turn. We put you down for Johnny Depp in what? Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> I'm sorry, we have you on paper for that. It's recorded. That's you know, this is written down. I used a pen. I can't very well change it. <laughs> All right, what do you have? We'll, we'll let we'll allow this substitute one substitution. Oh yeah, I didn't see it, but a guy I know saw real steel, and uh, he said he left half an hour before the end of the movie after uh, Hugh Jackman teaches a robot to dance. It made him leave, and he missed the final battle. And he teaches him the robot dance. So that's your number three. No, my number three, and this is going to lose me what support I had for uh, my defending Nuke the Fridge last week, which I think you backed me up on, right, Tom? Uh, I, I like, yeah. I mean, I, I like that scene. Okay, my number three is something no one likes but me <laughs> in a movie. I think it's the part where 
everyone thinks this franchise died, but to me it was really funny and and rainy ass. Was uh, Tobey Maguire's dance in Spider Man Three? <laughs> I like that. No, I'm with you. I love that. Why yeah. do people hate that? I don't understand. It's too. It's. I think it's too wacky for people. Like they want serious Spider-Man. They want yeah. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, they want. I don't think comic book nerds have much of a sense of humor. Uh, that's too bad. I know because it's really funny and. He... No, I'm with you 110. percent I love that scene. But it, you're, I think you're right, though. A lot of people point to that and they're like, "This is why." Was it Spider-Man Three? Whichever one. Yeah. This is why Spider-Man Three sucks. It's doesn't it? I forget why he's doing it though. Doesn't he? Isn't it like after he's get? It's the suit making him do it. Right, evil spider suit evil, is right. taking it's him over. And spider. yeah, this is what his id would do if he were if evil unlocked his id. Uh, That's the most Sam Raimi Spider-Man thing you're gonna get. So I don't know why it's yep. considered the worst part of the trilogy. That's a, I like the chainsaw in the second ones also. I'm, I'm glad uh, I'm, I'm glad you decided to unmute your mic and, and speak up. That's a good one. Way better than Johnny Depp's Futter Dance, by the way. <laughs> Remember that? I like that Tom almost made a contraction of comic book nerds. <laughs> what did I almost call them? What? Comic birds. <laughs> that's, comic well, that's what, they're, that's what they're commonly called uh, by people who aren't into comic books. We just call them comic birds. So, <laughs> uh, All right, Dingus, what is your number three pick for uh, – this is your, your – Topic, you uh, decided at the last dance. minute. Uh, I like that, too. At the last minute, you decided to uh, rule out for yourself musicals. So what does that leave you? Yeah. And can you give um, us, rather than just tell us the name of the movie, why don't you do a few steps from yeah, the act it out. number? Yeah, do the actor around here and the uh, Jenga specialist. All right. Uh, before I do it, I'm going to have to bite your ear and kick you in the face. Hmm. Tom? Ear and kick you in the face. Uh, I'm not good at this game. Or any game. Yeah, it's this is something I haven't seen. Blueberries. <laughs> Wait, kick him in the ear. Wait, kick so him in the ear and bite him in the face. Bite him in the face. It's. I think it's a Mike Tyson reference. I don't know. Uh, the musical number. It's the musical number at the end of Hangover Two, where Mike Tyson comes out and sings. Oh, that is an awesome music. You and he got me. And he dances. Yeah. I imagine as well. I don't know, Dingus. What is this? That's it's a terrible. Dirty laundry that Don Henley song. All right, this is a, a little movie from 1990 uh, called La Femme Nikita, directed by Luc Besson. Racist. And the uh, the dance moment is uh, a little impromptu moment where um, where Anne Paraloud, Paraloud, <laughs> racist. Sorry, I apologize. Uh, she's uh, she's in her little academy, and uh, and the first time she's had to face her karate, judo, whatever instructor, he says. Uh, try to strike me in the face. I've taken the defensive position, and she smacks him in the face. And then she's in, and then she's later in a class with him, and he th- he he calls her up, and he throws her over his shoulder, and he's about to like make a point to the class, and she bites his ear. He rolls over, she kicks him in the face with her boot, and then she starts to do this little dance. She just does this weird herky jerky little dance to Ina Klein-Nock music uh, as uh, Chucky Cario watches. Her do this, and I and as I was uh, going through all the little dances, I thought for this week, I just kept remembering that moment where, where, where she does this just this little weird dance after after beating somebody up. It sounds she, insufferably French, Dingus. Oh, it is. It is certainly insufferably French. And that's why I love it. It's not choreographed. I tried to avoid uh, choreo, uh, you know, 
things that have been choreographed or musical numbers. It's just this moment of, of dance. She's just sort of, she's kicked somebody's ass and then she's dancing around. Kelly Wan, do you know this scene? I don't watch movies with scenes in them. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know this scene either. Uh, does La Femme Nikita hold up Dingus? Is that worth seeing? Uh, I think it is, actually. Uh, in, uh... With Bridget Fonda. All right. Yes, yes. John Baddow. Wanda, Dermot Moroni. Uh, uh, I did, I did uh, love your various attempts to say Anne Puyard's <laughs> name. Yeah, isn't that nice? Uh, and actually, I think now that I, and I didn't think of this, but I think the, one of the last, um, where the movie clubs was, was this particular movie. And I haven't seen it in a while, but just, I just remember her doing this little capering dance. And it is this capering thing that she does, but it is very clearly, to Mozart's uh, Little Night Music as she's dancing there in front of this red curtain after she's kicked somebody's ass. And I really love that little thing. And it sounds very French and very Luc Besson. Oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, we're going on now to our number two choices. My number two choice, I feel a little... No, I don't feel cheap doing this. Uh, I haven't seen this full movie in a while, but by golly, I need to. Uh, it's the the scene, uh, the the dance-off that Uma Thurman and John Travolta do in the middle of Pulp Fiction. Uh, and they're at, they're at this, like, uh, theme restaurant, which is, like, themed after movie stars in Hollywood. And, and the, the guy comes up and announces a dance-off for, the, uh, uh, like, a contest. And Uma Thurman's like, come on, we're going to get up there and dance. And John Travolta's like, no, I'm not going to dance. And she's like, yeah, you got to do whatever I... Uh, whatever I say, because you're supposed to take me out, so let's go do this dance contest and win this trophy. And he's like, okay. And so they get up there, and you think there's going to be this crazy virtuoso kind of dancing thing, because, of course, John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever, Urban Cowboy, you know, you're going to see some awesome virtuoso dancing skill, and they do nothing of the sort. It's just like a twist kind of thing, and they're both, like, so invested in it, and it's just kind of, like, fun and, and funky, and they look great doing it. Uh, but it's just this this twisting to a Chuck Berry song, uh, and I love how it's part of their unconventional courtship in uh, in Pulp Fiction. So there's my number two. They do win too. Yes, well as well they should. Uh, well, we don't get to see any other numbers. That's true. We don't know what they were up against, Kelly Wand. <laughs> we didn't get to see any of the competition. Uh, if it was a 70s club, they would have been up against the Cuban couple from Saturday Night Fever, and then they would have lost. See, no, you couldn't. Saturday Night Fever, I'm sure there's great dance. Actually, I don't know. Is does, does Saturday Night Fever just look ridiculous now? It probably no, does. No, it's no? good, actually. I've seen it. I saw it like two years ago. I was like, ah, this movie's good. But Grease, I don't understand. That's oh, no, I've seen, yeah, I've seen Grease recently. There's nothing to understand there. That's, that's the girl one. Yeah, that's, the, that's the, like, tween version of Saturday Night Fever. There's yeah. Yeah, You don't need to see that. Saturday Night Fever is awesome, actually. Go watch it again. Is it as good as Blue Thunder, John Badham's later movie? No. I guess he's dumb. <laughs> but you know what? You Like a lot of directors, they have that one movie that's awesome. Right, right. Well, didn't John Badham also do some like war games or something like yeah, that? Like, he didn't did he just, yeah, okay. He's made a lot of bad shit. <laughs> he made Short Circuit. That's but, when I realized. Wait, oh, my God. Short that? Circuit is from the director yeah. of Saturday Night Fever? Wow. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Because I would call Saturday Night Fever being really kind of like gritty and yeah, uh, it is. yeah. It's edgy and well, everyone was in the '70s and they were also all on coke. But then in the '80s they stopped doing the coke and look what happens. Just like Iron Man. 
So is the dancing good, or does that does that does Saturday Night Fever fall apart? The dancing's it? great, and the wretchedness of their lives is great. And uh, it's just a miserable story. <laughs> and he and I, I don't know. And it's just a really bittersweet ending. And the girl's total. It's just good. Like there's, I don't think she's supposed to be good. I don't think who's the woman to in Saturday Night Fever? Karen Lynn Gorney. She I have no did. idea who that is. Okay. He became a superstar, and then she does nothing. And then she's not in. She's not even referenced in the second movie. Staying alive. Oh my God, that's right. Stallone. <laughs> See, then, then you start thinking, wait, was Saturday Fever a piece of shit? <laughs> Uh, I don't want to spoil anybody's list in case there's something from Staying Alive on your list, though. Sorry that we brought that up. I hope that. What's the name of that play at the end of Staying Alive that Frank Stallone wrote the music for? That Broadway play where they're in hell and they're dancing and it's all frou frou and furs. Oh my God, I remember that. Is that. that... Wow, I can't believe I remember that. Remember how stupid it was? (laughs) Uh... Horrifying and like, wait, what? Where's Tom? Tom. Is Tom seen Saturday Night Fever lately? It can't be this bad. <laughs> yeah, and the mu- it's like the it's because Saturday Night Fever had cool music. It had the Bee Gees, and then the sequels Sylvester Stallone's brothers' music on Broadway, and they're like supposed to be dancing to it. But that they don't do that in Broadway, do they? They don't dance to other to Frank Stallone music. That's not a Broadway play. You're the opera specialist. Maybe it was back in the uh, '80s. I don't know. John Badham's Fly musical is supposed to be really good. Uh, there's no such thing. You're not fooling me. But Kelly Wand, I have a question for you. Huh? What is your number two pick hmm. for a best dance scene in a movie? All right. Uh, my two and my one may not qualify as dances, so I'm not sure if uh, I'll have to swing an alternate. So we'll have to. Uh, real quick, hold on. So Dingus Tomei is Tim T O M E I. Just so you All know, right. for spelling. All right, go ahead, Kelly Wand. Like, what what is swing an alternate a euphemism for? <laughs> That's not dancing. That's that's uh, everyone. Uh, my number two is um, Billy Idol would beg to differ with you. By the way, what? I didn't understand that one either, Kelly. One. How come Dingus is more obscure than me now? <laughs> no answer. All right. Uh, my number two is. Uh, Remember, it actually is to me a very a very big moment in election. Do you remember what I'm talking about? It was dancing in election. See, maybe I'm crazy. It's the first when someone says election, it's the first image that comes to my mind. Go for I, it. I'm, I'm, I'm yes, a bee stinging a nose counts as dancing. No, uh, remember you don't remember Reese Witherspoon's little dance, like her little hopping around after uh, she, the guy gives her the uh, the okay signal. When they're doing the vote count, so she's uh, she probably she celebrates by hopping. She's in the hallways. Yeah, well, yeah, and she thinks she's won. Dingus in some cultures, celebratory hopping is construed as a form of if dance. If you do it for more than ten seconds, it's a dance. It's a victory <laughs> dance. It's a victory right. dance of hopping. All right. If if you can tell me that character's name, I'll accept it. Oh, oh, I I could have gotten this one, Kelly. Nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, then I accept it. Name right. the uh, name her arch nemesis. Name the other uh, nominee for president. Pedro. <laughs> uh, I forget his uh, first name. I'm gonna fuck it. Up. Paul. Paul. Damn it. I remember his last name. Isn't it Paul Metzler? Yeah. Good. Who is another of the Metzler clan? Oh, come on. Dude, they're making an American Pie. Tre- <laughs> Trequel. 
Ready? All right, so Tracy Flick's celebratory dance. All here's right, why. I here's it. why it's. My the judges six. say, since you know Tracy Flick's name, we will I get it. All right, that's good. But see, she's okay. Matthew Broderick spent this whole movie trying to destroy her, and um, saying, no, I can't, "We can't. I can't let her. someone like that rise to power." But when you see her bunny hop, you're like, you know what? Maybe she'd make a good president. <laughs> she really wants. She's maybe her heart's in the right place. All right, so it won you over at that point. That was a turning point in the movie for you as a viewer. I think it's the cutest thing I've ever seen, and it's not even a dance, and therefore it's my number two. Wow, I can't wait to hear what your number one pick is then. Ah. And what's awesome is that, spoiler alert, we'll be ta- we'll, we'll get to mention this later in the podcast. And next week. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, what is your number two choice for a best dance scene in a movie? All right, I'm going to give you guys a quote from it. Awesome. Quote from the dance. It's not from the dance. I could sing the song, but that would annoy you. D flat. All right, here's a quote. 4.30, time for milking. Twins? No, wait, the other one. Junior twins. I don't know. That did sound like he was doing Schwarzenegger, though. He I have no idea. Accents. You don't know it? He's stumping you. No, 4.30, time for milking? It's nothing I've ever seen. 4.30, time for milking. Oh, See, oh, uh, I know. Uh, uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Yes. No. 4.30, so it's where somebody has to get up early and milk cows. Oh, I know. Uh, whatever happened to the Davises, or what's that thing where... Uh, 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 Sarah Jessica Parker and Hubert. Yeah, yeah, where they, uh, they go to a farm. Uh, yeah, whatever happened... Wait, to- what's their name? I, mean, I forgot. Patterson's, Davises, the... the whatever happened to the fucking... The McCrory's, uh, what is their name in it? Because I've seen that movie. See, the marketing people would be so... Well, wild. why do they why do they go out to the to the country? Because they've seen a murder. Witness protection program. Yeah, witness protection program, and their their marriage is is uh, is strained. So you know that's where they'll rediscover love. Uh, so it sounds like you're giving me a clue. Morgans. Morgans. Wow. I didn't want. Why did you, why did I you know that? Uh, so Dingus, was, was that a clue? Yeah, it is a clue because okay. they they have to escape to the countryside. Oh, witness. In a murder. Witness. Yeah, witness. Okay, it I don't remember. Witness. I don't remember any dancing in Witness. So oh, this is this is for me. This is right up there with Kelly Wan's pick of election. Until you explain, I remember it. I know what he um, it's. Uh, it's and th- this is something I just remember from having seen from seeing Witness originally, and I haven't seen Witness in many years. Uh, but it's it's when uh, John Book, uh, played by uh, what is his name? Damn it, uh, Mark, Mark Hamill. Oh yes, thank Sam you, Sam Worthington. <laughs> Are you trying to think of Harrison Ford's name for real? Oh, Harrison Ford. Thanks. Um, When John Book is uh, trying to fix his car in the barn, and Rachel, played by Kelly McGillis, is in there with him, and he finally gets the radio to work, and then one of his favorite songs comes on, which is um, Wonderful World, the Sam Cooke song. But, uh, of course, the movie can't use that, uh, so they have to use sort of a a crappy version by somebody named Greg Chapman, and I hear my friend Daniel going, there's a reason they do that, because they can't afford the other one! But anyway, they use they, they do a Wonderful World, which is a wonderful song, and um, and they start to dance, but, but it's not really a dance. Um, it's part of their courtship, but they can't really court, because he's uh, an English, you be careful among them English, and she's uh, an Amish. And so she's not really allowed to even hear this music, but it happens to just 
be happening. And there's this really great little dance that they do in the barn. Uh, and they're, it seems like they're about to kiss and then they swoop into a dance instead. Like it's just a joke. We're just a couple of friends and we're just joking. And it's this weird little moment and we're about to kiss. But now we're just going to dance. And an this is the, kiss. this is the first time I remember, I remember really hearing this, uh, this, you know, don't know much about history song. Um, and so it's from the, the, uh, 1985 movie directed by Peter Weir. I'd first heard that song in Animal House when Bluto's going through the cafeteria line, stuffing shit in his mouth. And I thought in Witness, Harrison Ford was going to go, by the way, the song is really awesome in Animal House. And like, that's, <laughs> that's how he courts her. Here's what he does. And then he goes around oh. the barn. Kelly, I love the work you've done punching up Witness. See? <laughs> He's my cousin. Remember that line? When John Book hits the guy does the ice cream cone trick. To make I'd hit that. In the, in the theater. <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with me? Ah, oh, I can't do any more podcasts ever. Tom, do you have a number one for this category? I do, and I'll give you guys a line from the movie. You ready? Oh, good. Oh, this is a movie? We're spanning time. We're just spanning time. I just want to span time. Span time. We're, we're just going to span time. All right, that's Tom Sean Penn. <laughs> It's, it, maybe it's a little obscure. I'm hoping you guys have seen it. That's my Vincent Gallo. That guy is. Oh, is that Buffalo 66? Buffalo 66. That guy is such a freaking tool. And I think <laughs> Buffalo 66, which to his credit he directed, is all about how Vincent Gallo is a tool. And there's a great scene in Buffalo 66 where he's got to unwind by bowling, and he drags poor, adorable little Christina Ricci. And you guys talk about like, uh, well, Dingus, you you mentioned uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Um, and I forget who else you mentioned, but this like like oh oh uh, Greta Gerwig, who are who are beautiful curvy actresses, and you kind of hope they don't lose that. And and Christina Ricci is like so adorably plump in Buffalo '66. I mean, she's like so round and cute, and she looks like Baby a real fat. real person. Yeah, well, for you know, she's 18 or whatever in that movie. Yeah. So, uh, but she looks just really adorable in there, and, and he's constantly, he's dragging her throughout the movie, and she is so just long-suffering and forbearing and willing to put up with him. And so he's there bowling to unwind, and she is so incredibly bored. And at one point, the little <laughs> pin resetter messes up, so somebody has to go fix the pin resetter, and he's just throwing the ball, and he couldn't care less about her. He's just so into himself. And so when somebody has to go reset the little pin setter, he goes back to sit down, and she's sitting down, and he kicks her out of the chair. And he's like, get out of there. I want to sit down. And so she gets up and kind of saunters off to the next lane, and the camera follows her, and she goes over to stand in front of the next lane, and the lights dim, and she's leaning against a pole, and she does does this adorable little impromptu tap number to uh, to a King Crimson song called Moonchild. And the lights have come down, and there's a spot on her, and she's doing this little – it's not – again, it's not like a virtuoso performance, but she's obviously had a little tap background. I love that it's just one – cut it's just one scene it's a you know the camera doesn't cut away um she does this tap number and then the lights come up and she saunters back over to the left side where he's waiting and the camera has gone with her the whole time and it's all in one take and she's mm -hmm. just so adorable in that scene uh so doesn't she open by doing like a little doesn't she mock him kind of like oh mr i gotta sit there like doesn't she do a, doesn't she open with like a fake dance like a dismissive, like yeah. Well, their their relationship is very 
contentious. I mean, he, she's kind of she's putting up with him, but she's still she'll sass him a little bit. Uh, right, right. That, no, that's... that whole spanning time thing is a scene where he's convincing her to sit in a photo booth with him and take <laughs> pictures where it looks yeah. like they're a couple, and she's trying to be game about it, but she's really fed up with him. <laughs> and she, yeah. uh, she's making faces. Yeah, yeah. She's totally making faces, making fun of him, and, and he's he wants like, to do this American Gothic thing. Yeah, and he's he's like, you know, I just I, you just made me waste two dollars. Yeah, <laughs> I wasted my money. That was two dollars, and you're not taking it seriously uh he's he like he's just such a tool uh <laughs> i know and he gets her it's annoying isn't it uh, and she's so adorable in that hey so, oh, i love he gets that the street Come i totally here. forgot that i forgot that little dance that's great it's on youtube uh i invite everyone to go to youtube and watch it uh but so. um is it Outside the movie, is it something nope. that he sees her doing? Or? Oh, no, no, not at all. It's a weird little, uh, it's the movie just, I mean, because the lights go down and a spot comes up on her. Right, right. Her okay, psychological okay. state. And then when she, uh, when the, the lights come back up and the spot goes away, she just walks back over. It's just clearly her getting into her head. And maybe she actually has done the dance and she's just not paying attention. Um, but it's not like the movie, uh, it's not like the, uh, this actually happened with the lighting. I mean, it's the movie's going to go inside Christina Ricci's adorable little head for a moment. Uh, and what better place to be? It's a great <laughs> place to be, yes. Uh, That's any, a good in, number one. I in like. her anywhere. So, Kelly One, what do you have to top that? Uh, to the top greatest Natalie, American... But to top Tracy Flick's celebratory hopping, which was your number uh, You guys today. have Hearts of Stone, because you didn't even remember that. I'm really upset right now. It's not as horrible as Christina Ricci tap dancing. Yeah, but that's yours are too easy. You're you're going for the obvious kills. I expect more from my Tom chick. This okay, is so fucking uh, for your number one. Then we want something obscure and not easy. You're all Call of Duty tonight instead of Soleim Inferno, man. Let's <laughs> talk about obscure. I got that though. Are those board games? What <laughs> oh, dingus? Mm. They're they're oh. comic books, dingus. Oh, thank you. You're, you're not a you're not a comic bird, so you wouldn't understand. Comic bird. <laughs> All right, Kelly, what is your number one pick for your favorite dance scene in a movie? Go. Uh, for my money, the greatest ever American dancer is uh, Paul Rudd. He dances. Oh, I thought you were going to say Paul Walker. He doesn't dance, does he? He doesn't have everything skills, he does so. is a dance. All right, okay. when he when he farts, Tom goes, "Oh gosh, just like a pavane, it's a ballet." the balloon uh but my favorite paul rudd dance but maybe this isn't a dance either it's probably even less of a dance than tracy flicks thing the more i think about it so i'm just going to stop thinking about it and pitch it to you guys and then hopefully remember his name from the movie and then i'll get away with this but in wet hot american summer am i the only person who's seen that one the meatballs uh, ready no tom has seen it he loves that movie <laughs> Tom, do you love that movie? You know what? It didn't work for me. I should maybe see it again now that I appreciate some of the actors in it more. But uh, no, I did not care for it. Yeah, fuck that Elizabeth Banks. She never, she's never. Speaking of Elizabeth Banks, I, before we started this podcast, and we'll get to your pick in a minute, Kelly Wand, looking over YouTube scenes of dancing, I called up the scene of uh, the first rehearsal in Showgirls where she learns to dance. Oh my God, Showgirls, the dancing in Showgirls is amazing. I don't remember that part. From the black dude? 
Uh, no. So she goes to, it's just, it just says, I don't, I've never seen Showgirls. It just says, oh, it's uh, good. her listening. first, her first rehearsal scene. And she goes in and she, uh, gets taught a dance number. And then she does the dance number. And the choreographer is telling her, no, hold your arm up higher. No, work on your turns. No, work on your balance. Uh, is that the part where he goes, hey, your boobs aren't something, something. Here's some ice. Is that part? No, there was nothing about that there. Showgirls. Um, but anyway, it was it was an amazing dance number. I don't read comic books or see showgirls. I like nothing. <laughs> That's how you talk. Uh, it is. All right, so Paul Rudd apparently okay. does a dance number in Wet well, Hot American Summer. Well, yeah. Oh. My fa- well, okay. I'll, it's not really a dance, though. My favorite Paul <laughs> Rudd dance is maybe the one he does in Role Models, but it's only for half a second. But in Wet Hot American Summer, he's in, like, the cafeteria, and he, like, when he's, he's eating lunch and he just like slams his bowl onto the floor, like just lazily, like so it goes everywhere. And then Janine Garofalo comes in and she's all, "Oh, uh, you got to come to the meeting, but you got to pick that up first. And he's all, "No, I'll get it later." She's all, "No, pick that up." So he's all, "Ugh." So he gets up and he like picks up the bowl, like every like he does ten times the work that it would have been to just do what she said, like just ugh. Fuck it. Uh, put it in the trash can. It goes on for like uh, when I said ten minutes, I meant ten hours. It's really, really good, and the meeting's good too. So it's longer than Showa. It's a guy just picking up a plate, but that's dancing in a way. He makes a dance out of it. Stop making fun of my choices. Well, let me ask you this: Is um, either your number one or your number two more of a dance than uh, Obi Wan's? Non-fake physical. That's a hand dance. Wait a minute! Yeah. Don't don't involve me in this. <laughs> oh, I apologize. All right, Paul Rudd and a plate. Good. Paul Rudd's plate dance. Very good, Kelly Wand. Dingus, what do you got to top that? Hate you people. <laughs> I w- wait. Does Kelly want to talk more about uh, the dance of the plate? No, you're. What? Oh, no, the plate's fine. But it was more like the uh, maxim guy from Dancing with the Stars and Paul Rudd was the uh, whatchamacallit woman. The Olympic one. See, aren't you glad you asked Dingus? Yeah, I really am. <laughs> Tom right, Dingus, that. What is your number one pick for uh, best dance scene in a movie? And he reads the comic. Alright, my number one pick has a quote to go along with it. Awesome. Alright, do you think you're ready for this, Tom? Rock and roll. So for Kelly? Two. Yep. Uh, go. Yeah. Alright, uh, here, here's the quote. I think we're out of beer. We out of beer? Oh, you are the worst quote picker. I swear God, to God. That is, that is horrible, isn't it? I Tom, think we're out of beer. We out of beer? Out of beer. What? Is that, see, is that dialogue from the dance scene or from nine hours later? Yeah, so no, it's, it's from the dance scene, and it, uh, it, it is what finishes the dance scene because then somebody has to go off and get beer. And actually, no. Oh, you know what? Drinking. I know what it is, Dingus. Dingus, I know what it is. That you would. Ugh. Dingus. What? You're just looking for an excuse to talk about this movie because you obviously watched it recently. What movie are you talking about, Tom? Does it we have anything to do with your number three pick? We don't live here anymore. Uh, let's see. Does it have anything to do? Well, Naomi Watts is in it. Oh, and she's dancing. Huh. Yeah, but it's not. It's just ugh, whatever, Dingus. Go ahead. Tell us about the dance scene in We Don't Live Here Anymore. <laughs> it's the opening scene of We Don't Live Here Anymore. And uh, the the opening credits start with Laura Dern's hands as she's dancing around during this party. These two couples are, the, are this uh, this 
these. Oh, people. you know what? Yeah. Right. You know what? I take back my disparaging remarks. Go ahead, Dingus. You're right. And um, and Laura Dern's dancing around the room, and she invites uh, the other uh, woman in the other couple, uh, who is played by uh, Naomi Watts. Uh, her character's named uh, Edith. I think Edith Evans. Yeah. Um, so anyway, she she invites uh, Naomi Watts to dance with her, and the two women do this wonderful weird uh, dance together, where they, where uh, uh, Laura Dern is dipping Naomi Watts, and they're dancing together, and the two men sort of move into position and watch them. And this is one of those moments where uh, it's it's like those old. Uh, like like West Side Story, where you would have the ballet before the movie that would tell you what is going to happen in the movie. An overture. What, yeah, an overture. Thank you, Tom. Uh, and that's kind of what's going on in that little scene. And I just I, and I did it recently, and I just love that little that dance, the the sort of the pas de deux the two of them are doing, and the man watching. That is a good one because it then does, it becomes about just the complicated sexual politics among all of them, and that's just a great that's a great way to present it, Dingus. Because obviously that's what John Curran was thinking when he shot it was let's have a kind of a musical overture to this the, this study of these four characters. Uh, dang, that is a good one, you jerk. <laughs> and the and the music that's playing is not the music that they're listening to; it's just kind of overture music. Is it the credits? Like, are the credits on at that point, or does he just let the scene? Like are there? So it's, like... it's definitely cut with with the opening credits. Okay, oh, that is a good one. That gummit. I was all set to make fun of you. I just assumed oh the characters probably dance at one point, but I forgot. There's that whole bit at the opening. Yep. All right. Well, and uh, I was so excited when you mentioned Naomi Watts for King Kong, which I hadn't thought about at all. But she's been number one. Don't think that you're uh, wriggling out of your obligation to see Twenty One Grams at some point, though. Uh, is that? I've seen 21 Grams later. Is that the... Is that okay? <laughs> There's no zombies in it. <laughs> All right. Let's, All right. Let's, yeah. Never happened. Uh, runners up. Uh, none of you mentioned uh, John Hedder's dance in uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Huh. Or the little girl in uh, Little Miss Sunshine. I thought about that one because I actually do like that dance. I'll bet you do. Oh, God. I uh, hate no, you know why? Because they're like, your pageant's dumb dance. It's not good dancing. That's not dancing. You guys didn't pick Katie Jarvis. You guys are dicks. Guess you don't like Oh, dang. Oh, that is a good one. Why didn't you pick that, Kelly? Juan, Kelly, of... you just broke the category. Good job. Paul Red picking up a plate. <laughs> <laughs> and you had, you were sitting on Fish Tank, Katie Jarvis and Fish Tank for Paul Red. Kelly, Wan, you're fired. That you're is your fired. biggest sin. You're that fired. is your biggest sin against this podcast. That's right. You're fired from 3 by 3s Hmm. <laughs> But it takes so long. It is a good one. Dang. Take that. Oh, and it opens the it opens the movie. And not, I mean, you can choose the the opening scene where she's dancing to practice, or uh, yeah, that's not dancing. Remember? Yeah, well, she dances like a black. Why didn't we think of that, Dingus? We like that movie better than him. Damn it, Kelly. Uh, yeah, it wasn't even on my top ten list that year. I'm so I'm so uh, doubly pissed with you right now. I'm just surprised that uh, the dingus that you didn't pick one of Sam Rockwell's obligatory dancing scenes. Oh, he does little dances in all of his movies. I think all of his movies. I don't know if that's true. Uh, all right, runners up. Other runners up. Anything? Dancing's dumb. <laughs> oh, there's this great little twirling moment in the fall where uh, 
where there's the, all these dancers in these big white outfits, they're like monks or something that's really pretty, but it has nothing really to... Well, that also, The Fall is like a musical, but without music. Yeah. So... Um, the the other dance that almost uh, supplanted my number three is the uh, is the goofy seventies dance that um, that Mark Wahlberg does in Boogie Nights, where uh, where it, I think it's the, the Commodores, maybe called Machine Gun. I'm not sure what the song is, but but he's 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 on the dance floor dancing, and then eventually um, John C. Riley moves up to him, and the two of them do this weird thing with their arms, and they like they do high fives and then then like do hips and i just love that whole little sequence that and and that opening to the emotions um best of my love i think i i like the dancing in in boogie nights but it had too much of a choreograph mm. it's called boogie nights it's gonna be choreographed <laughs> yeah good point do you have a cold who you a little bit oh sorry it, it does sound sexy, though. It is. I was going to say that. Yeah. Wendy's a lucky woman tonight, except that she's <laughs> going to get sick. <laughs> so the whole flu sexy, right. right? Yeah. All right. Are you guys ready for uh, next week's three by three? I don't know. The one we're going to hate, you say. Well, you're going to hate it just because it's so broad and you can do anything with it, but that's kind of what I want to – that's why I want to do this. I just want to see what gets done with this. And I'm not going to spell out any – I'm not going to specify anything else. So, Kelly Wan, you should have saved your whole Paul Rudd picking up a plate thing for this next one because I'm sure you could have worked – almost anything can be worked into this. So do with it as you will. Maybe you've seen a movie recently you want to talk about. <laughs> Cram it into this list because there's room for anything here. You ready for this? <laughs> this this I is. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the word crab. I'm don't... uncomfortable with Tom laughing this much before he spits it out. Like, do not be afraid. Do not be uncomfortable. It's okay. What I want from you guys next week are your favorite uses of the color red. Oh, dude. <laughs> Why are you going, oh, dude? Come on. Be red with Helen Mirren. If that's what you want to see, you could do that. You could totally do that, Kelly Wand. Uh, the stuff that the, I think you said Paul Rudd spelled, spilled spaghetti. So that was probably red sauce. So see what you could have done there? See? See? Are you going to exclude anything? Uh, yes. Darth Vader's lightsaber. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that, about, that's um, off the table. Because this, this, this dovetails with another... One that you've done in the past, but if you're what? not going to exclude that, that's cool. What are you, what are you talking about? Which one? Obi Wan or wait, what does it dovetail with? Thing is, because I don't, I didn't think this was. Now you've well, got dovetail- red. Well, what is the main thing we think of when we think of red? Colors, sex, but you know. Oh, blood. Well, that, you know what? Uh, uh, Twilight, Breaking Dawn, Part One. If you want to use, I, I mean, if red blood is indeed red, so if you want to do that, yeah. But uh, here, here's the, here's what I'm thinking: is any time something, almost any time something is brought on uh, on screen or it's part of a production design, someone wrote off on that, someone picked that. So if there's a, a time that something is red instead of another color, there's usually a reason for it. So. Uh, and I don't want to mention why I bring this up because it's on my list, but uh, I just want you to use this opportunity to notice that you know there are times where the director or someone obviously wanted this to be red as opposed to any other color. Uh, you know, I, you know, I like this. I actually like this. But whenever I say that, you what you say automatically is, "Come on, 
tell us what the one you came up with was. Come on. <laughs> All right. Like well, you know one. what? Here. Okay, here. You know what? I am going to do that because I'll. you guys are going to have to think of stuff over the course of the week, and I will too. Here's what inspired this. You don't have to. You don't have no, to. No, no, no. But I want to because I don't want to make it. It's gonna, it would have been the easy pick for me. Uh, also, I want to knock it off of your list, Dingus, in case it was going to be there. Um, <laughs> you jerk. There's a great uh, – is it, is it Ken Russell or Nicholas Rogue? Uh, don't Look Now is Nicholas Rogue, right, Kelly? Yes. So yes. Nicholas Rogue, the, the little girl, uh, Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland's little girl, uh, is wearing a red coat. And he's constantly seeing the red coat running around through Venice and at the very end what happens. But the fact that it's a red coat is such a meaningful part of Don't Look Now. And it's such a it's such a stark choice. And it ties into this whole thing of missing children from Little Red Riding Hood and all this stuff. And it, it's that's that's it's almost iconic. If you're in like 70s cinema, the red coat in Don't Look Now is so iconic. And and I, I think there was a conscious effort to mirror that in the movie Vinyan where uh, the wife recognizes her, her son's red coat. Uh, so there's this idea of, you know, a, a, a child in red goes missing, and it's almost like a fairy tale thing. And the way that was used in Don't Look Now and in Vinyan I thought was fantastic. So, and the fact that it's red, you know, I, that's, that's notable. That's part of it. So uh, that's what inspired it, and I'm taking it off the table as well as Darth Vader's lightsaber. So there. And his face plate or chest plate button that's red. You know, that's... That's well done, Tom. Let me just add, I'm curious. Kelly, uh, have you ever heard us mention Vinyan before? Every fucking podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Someday I'll watch it, but now I feel like I've seen it. Vinyan. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, and Wait, what about Amanda Seyfried's cloak? Does that count, too? You didn't even see that. You just know about the metal elephant from it, where they lock <laughs> you. prisoners. Yeah. As opposed to the bull from Immortals, which is smaller. Uh, next week, let's see uh, the def- uh, Descendants with George Clooney. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Some of you might see the Defendants. We are going to see the Descendants uh, with George Clooney, directed by Alexander Payne. Uh, join us for that, and join us for our favorite uses of the color red. I am Tom Chick, and I have been joined by Christian. I wrote this down so I can pronounce Christian Mulkowski. It's Christian Murawski. And Kelly Wand. I think Gene Kelly's acting's great, but his dancing sucks. <laughs> La. 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 The ghost of a hand floats over there And a smile, a smile, it seems so lonely Musical. Now I get it. She gave me a hand. Yes, I struck up the band, and she seemed to say, she seemed to say, you're the only. John Hawkins like a black. Does anybody else get? That's a compliment. Like yeah. Anybody else gets the used bird? I forget that. I don't understand what he's talking about. It's good lyrics. But... Cryptic. Apocryphal. Hey, uh, actor switch. Uh, Ashton Kutcher for Cure Dulier in 2001 and Bill Cosby for Kutcher in Butterfly Effect.